how could I be so stupid? I checked this out weeks ago for a bit of light reading. This is light. Hi, and welcome to the Three Broom Chicks. I'm Jenny. I'm Marianne. And I'm Elizabeth. And today we have a super secret stranger guest. What? <gasps> Who are you? Whoa, are <laughs> you? Who is this man? Boogada, boogada, boogada. Thank you. Oh, that man. was for me. Everyone, this is my husband, Raul. Wow. The man we mentioned probably. <laughs> yeah. I think we mention him every single episode. I think so. We love that guy. He gets mentioned more than Sirius Black. <gasps> oh, no. Wow. Wow. I think it helps that he's also a real person. Yeah, that would help. So I'm feeling attacked. I'm going to go. <laughs> Sorry, Jenny. Anyways, Raul, say hi. Hello, everyone. <laughs> this is actually really cool. I'm like the number one fan here. You are. So this is like behind the scenes, but like not behind the scenes because I'm in the scene. No. So it's actually like pretty awesome. Yeah. Thank Yay. you for that description. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, exciting. so Raul's in this episode because Why? as I mentioned, I think it was a few episodes ago now. Who knows? Raul is an actual historian. He has a what? degree in history. Whoa! I think we're literally in the room where his yeah, degree is hanging say, up. Is that it? Yes, it's right here. <laughs> also, my husband's super smart. He's currently in med school too. Wow! Oh, so talented. he's multifaceted. Multifaceted. <laughs> You'll fit right in. Right. There are too many lies being spread here. Historian's what? a bit of a stretch. <laughs> uh, I do oh have a degree God. in it, but. History is awesome. Anyone who's interested in history, go for it. It's amazing. You're so supportive. Wow. And you also, don't even know these people. <laughs> I like Do to it. pretend and fool people to think I'm smart. And so far, it's working. So thumbs Aww. up on that one. Raul's just starting off so humble. <laughs> <laughs> so humble. Always the humblest person in the room. Wow. Oh, I thought you said homeless. And I was what? like, I was like, we're in your home. <laughs> I was like, are we squatting right now? Yes, did you see? Everything's camo. <laughs> Anyways, so outpost today. Aww. Um, our owl is on vacation in yeah. Mallorca. Wow, she's what? not here today, so we got no post. No post today. So, you know, yeah. we're going to talk about uh, corrections, too. Oh! There are Wait a minute. Whoa! Wow. Okay, so this episode, we are talking about the history of magic, or Hogwarts, a history. I can with the accent every single time. <laughs> I can't. Wow. I know. It, you I, can't I, not do I know. I it, know. It just comes out every single time. But So, this episode, we are talking about... Magical symbols, uh, some all the symbology that J.K. Rowling wrote in the Harry Potter series, and we're also talking about hashtag political themes. Yes, <laughs> yes. And to back up our hashtag political themes, we're talking about hashtag facts. Hashtag facts. So, fun fact before we get started, just so y'all know, Raúl, I think is secretly Ravenclaw because. He did so much research for this episode. He did. He watched college lectures. This is like what? Jenny level stuff you're doing. Wow. So, you know, I think he he's probably more Hermione than I am. Just saying. If I were to associate myself with any house, it would most likely be Hufflepuff because kitchen 
food. There's no greater love of mine other than my baby and obviously my wife, but then food is like right there. I thought he was going to say food wow. before wife, to be honest. No, like, I, I thought mean, that's where we were she going. makes delicious food. So the fact that I know that delicious food is going to come from my wife, so she's kind of ab- above it, you know? It's like if my animals could talk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow, so we've, all, we've had two Hufflepuff guests. Well, okay, no. Wait, weren't technically you sorted into Gryffindor? Yes, technically yeah. Raul is Gryffindor. Ah, so reliant to us. Technically speaking, that sorting hat doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Whoa! Whoa! He's calling him out. I am just kidding. I love. I don't really care, really, what house I'm in. That's such a Hufflepuff thing to say. Yes. But I could definitely be a Gryffindor who's like super best friends with someone in the Hufflepuff house who can like hook me up with Wait. the greatest snacks. When did you take the test? I don't okay. remember. He took it a few years ago. Like So okay. not beta version. No, not beta version because... And you only took it once. And there's going to be a reimagining of it. So you will have to take it when it's reimagined. Right, yeah. So actually, Raul, talk a little bit about how you got into Harry Potter so people know your backstory with Harry Potter. So this is actually hilarious. Yeah. Um, ha ha, oh my God, that was so funny. I wow. started off <laughs> around the same age that a lot of you, well, a little bit older mm-hmm. than, definitely older than Elizabeth when I got started. Like, it was like second, third grade, mm-hmm. and I started, obviously, with the Sorcerer's Stone Super into it. It was, was great. Like, the correct was way. that like a dig at Elizabeth because she started with Chamber of Secrets? Well, I mean, no, but you sure, you can take it that way. We're okay. going to take it that way. We're going to take it that way. <laughs> and obviously, I went to do some reading uh, in the loo. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? Listen, that's where everyone does their reading. Oh, I was so But the fact that you it. said Lou, like I mean, you're really catering to her UK van. Fine, the Listen. toilet. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> in the process of it all, the book ended up falling into the toilet. No. <laughs> what? And at that point, I was like, okay, I tap out. I give up. And it took me till Elizabeth and I got together, and she forced me to then read the whole series because she n- could not, and I am quoting this, she couldn't marry someone who hadn't read the full series. You said that? But... I'm glad she did it because it's an amazing series and I loved it. So yay! So I how did it end up in the toilet? I have questions. I have never <laughs> heard this story before. That's hilarious. Oh this is God. so funny to me. But yes, wow. I did tell him it was one of my conditions when I saw we were getting serious. I was like, "You have to read the whole series. You have to watch all of the movies. If not, it's not. It's not happening. We're not happening." Would you have legitimate if he was like, I don't want to read this, would you have legitimately broken up with him? Yes. <laughs> I'm screaming. I, okay, so the only reason why I was shaking his head, he's like, nah. nah. The only reason why I would have considered doing so is because I would have at least want my life partner to at least be willing to try the things I love. I wouldn't have cared if he ended up hating it. But at least to try it. He did because, try it. Because and then it, it fell in the toilet. Did that not count? <laughs> no, because I never knew that. This is fascinating. Hearing deal wow. breakers is fascinating. Yes. But for me, it would be a deal breaker if they didn't like it. Like, I couldn't I, I couldn't stay with someone if they didn't like it. Oh, wow. I really right, couldn't. Well, uh, okay. 
I'm just over here. And like, this is why I'm alone. <laughs> no, because I'm alone too, and I wouldn't care. Well, I don't know. Then yellow. <laughs> All right. So to start off the episode, we're gonna talk about some of our favorite Hogwarts history quotes. Yes, so, of course, Harry and Ron, we all know they're not the biggest fans, but this is a direct quote that says, Harry and Ron always gave the impression that they'd rather sample fine, moldy cuisine (laughs) together at nearly headless Nick's death day party every night. So bad. Rather than read a page of Hogwarts history. And I just found that so funny because it was so specific (laughs) of what they would rather do than that. But, yeah, that's crazy. And then I'm just, like, picturing, like, dang, is this really such a sucky book to read and be, a, like, a sucky class to be a part of? Historian? I love history, but you'll get every <laughs> once in a while a book that is so dense and so dry that you'd rather, like, smack yourself silly with that book than read it. Um. So, maybe, but also the fact that there's, like, a history of Hogwarts, I'd totally be on that. Right? Yeah. I think this is when Raul would be Hermione. He would have been like, oh, my God, look at the ceiling. It's painted to look like the night sky. Yeah. I've had it in Hogwarts. Enchanted. I'm just saying paint is not magic. I'm just saying. (laughs) I was a whatever. Anyways, he he would have been like, oh, man, I read that in Hogwarts history. He would be that guy, though. Yeah. Yeah. Because Raul likes to spout the facts. The facts. Hashtag facts. Yeah, he knows Thank our hashtags. Thank you. <laughs> yes, what a true stand. What a true stand. <laughs> one, um, one of my favorite Hermione quotes is, honestly, am I the yes. only person who's ever bothered to read Hogwarts of History? And then Ron says, probably. <laughs> yep. And then I, I found another one that's like the same thing, but it's another quote where she's like, but Hogwarts is hidden. Everyone knows that. Well, everyone who's read Hogwarts, a history, anyway. And Ron's like, just you then. Oh. Look at that witty couple banter. Remini. Remini. Wow. All right, Raul. And with that. So we broke it down into a couple different, like, headliners for our topics. The first headliner is going to be magic symbols in history. And he's going to tell you lots of stuff about it. Raul. Yeah. Take it away snakes what we're starting off with snakes whoa so obviously i don't know if you guys have ever heard about it but snakes pretty big deal in harry potter what also i had no idea this is brand new new information information. (laughs) we're on the same page tonight none of that was rehearsed go that was pretty amazing (laughs) i'm totally fangirling right now but back to business. <laughs> snakes, also very prominent in history. What? So in a lot of different cultures, snakes have been considered magical creatures. Okay. So a lot of times have been described as very uh, wise, um, filled with a lot of secret knowledge. And importantly, this is actually really relevant to Harry Potter, is the sense of this association between snakes and immortality Mm. with their ability to shed their skin being a way of them renewing themselves constantly. That's funny that you say immortality as well because we literally got Nagini who is a freaking horcrux and she helps Voldemort live longer. Yeah. And we have mind 
blown. And yes. there's several Slytherins in history that have always been preoccupied with immortality. Yes, what? for sure. I was. It's almost like J.K. Rowling did research before she wrote the books. Wow. Whoa, that's <laughs> wild. So, of like some of the biggest figures in history associated with snakes is Asclepius, who is actually part of the Greek pantheon, who's the Greek god of healing. Ooh, and a wow. lot of people will recognize his symbol, which is also the symbol of doctors and people who are in medicine. It's a rod with a snake that's oh my coiled God, around the it. The veterinary symbol is flashing through my mind right now. Yeah. So there's a lot of associations between snakes and healing. A lot of it having to do with that in particular. I always thought it was just like a squiggly. So what is the, the veterinary symbol, Jenny? Is it similar to the medical symbol? I'm going to Google it right now live. Okay. I think Whoa. it might be the same. Live. Googling. Additional fun fact, a lot of people confuse the medical symbol with one of the stick with the wings on it and the snakes yeah. coiled around it. Yeah. That is incorrect association. That oh. is uh, actually the symbol for the god Hermes. Has nothing oh. to do with healing. Kind of an association because he was the one who ferried soul, like helped transition souls from after death towards the underworld. But wrong, incorrect symbol. So the veterinary symbol, as per Google, is the staff of the Greek god, As- Asclepius. Asclepius? Asclepius? Good job. Thank wow. you. Wow. They spelled it super wrong here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a rod encircled by a sacred serpent. Wow. That's and it's held as a symbol of hope and triumph over illness. So the snake, actually, there's in part of the mythology with Asclepius is that a snake, was he found one that was injured and healed it. And in return for this kindness, the snake actually imparted on him secret knowledge. So he became essentially the greatest healer at that point in time to the point where he was even even able to cheat death. Whoa. I'm going to name that snake that Merlin. <laughs> That's going to be Merlin the snake. Merlin? Merlin the snake. And as we all know, cheating death doesn't go well with a lot of people. So unfortunately, <laughs> Zeus was like, sorry, got to balance the scales here. And kind of killed him and made him a constellation. But right. yeah, that's one big association. You can see where J.K. Rowling kind of drew those symbols into the story. And snakes are pretty, pretty important. Wow, that's crazy. I was going to say, too, that um, didn't you say you said something about like immortality and like resurrection and stuff like that? Um, I found this like really cool idea about uh, Voldemort's resurrection. This quote that says, Nagini seemed integral to Lord Voldemort's survival before he could be restored to his body. And we learned quite grotesquely that Voldemort even tasked Wormtail to milk Nagini so he could live off of her venom to keep his strength up. <laughs> and then it goes, and then it says, Pottermore, BFFs forever. <laughs> Isn't Which that is, gross? But what's confusing to me is why would the venom of a snake help you stay alive? I yeah. think it was part of the I mean, Goblet of Fire. Um, like ritual? The whatever? ritual in Blood order to bring back Voldemort. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. It just seems like, I mean, maybe because it's the dark arts and everything yeah. is like backwards, but it just seems so... So odd, right? So odd to be using the venom of a snake. Well, that's also to it, help strengthen you. That also could just be the stereotype with snakes, because well, if I mean, history does like, have that ideal of healing, especially with Asclepius, 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 it would technically make sense 
that snakes represent these he- this healing I'm and this resurrection. Like, so. Biologically, by science, like venom okay. is no bueno. Okay, that's where I'm coming from. That's but what I'm telling you, we're in a world well, where magic exists, and clearly, so anything goes really. So there's no logic in here. There's no science in here. At least not science that we understand. Hashtag facts? Question mark? (laughs) (laughs) The most questionable facts. All right. So there's also, um, you know, even in uh, religious aspects, there's the snake in the Bible, the original sin. So, I mean, growing up, we hear the story of Adam and Eve. Eve is tempted by the snake. The snake is already a bad symbol just in religion in general. And it, that's what it's associated with in Harry Potter. Most of the time, snakes are bad. If you can speak parcel tongue, you're evil. Man, snakes get a bad rap. They do. I will say as a person who has worked several snakes, they're nice little buddies. Oh, yep. They don't deserve it. For the most part, every interaction I've had with a snake has been pretty positive. They're just literally sitting they're, there chilling. They're chilling. It's I mean, like, I'm a snake. Like, I just chill I guess. in my bed, coiled up into a ball. I like to be warm. I eat, and then I go back to bed. I've never had real interactions with a snake, besides the snake from the Beta Pottermore. But I definitely can say that, like, I never... That's not an interaction with a snake. <laughs> like, a, yes, it's a... It's a digital online snake. Exactly. My point. Thank you, Jenny, that I've never had an interaction with a snake. That is literally the closest. But, but you were like, I've never had an interaction with this snake. Except. Except. <laughs> Sorry, I guess I should have used the word like besides. But even no, then. I would still make it an interaction. It's a joke, guys. It's a joke. I have I never. It, it made me. It made me, it laugh. made me laugh. You're welcome. Thank you. That's the point, right? But yeah, even in <laughs> zoos, even in zoos, I try to stay away from the snakes. So when Raul was like talking about like Better snakes why? being, I don't know. Just like snakes have always freaked me out. They have a bad rap. Oh, so no. I don't know anything but the bad but are rap. You, like, as growing up, or are you just like? I think I just like prefer not. Like it's not. It's not like any of my like I just irrational fears. <laughs> I just prefer not to be around them. So like if I like offered you a snake interaction, would you be like, no, Jenny, I'm cool? Uh, yeah. I've held a snake before, actually. I am a liar. That's an interaction. I, that's I, an I, interaction. Just, I just remember this. I, just, I literally blurred it out of my mind because it was like one of those like really long boa constrictor ones. Um. And it was like on my back. And I think I still had the picture somewhere. I was with one of my like you, close like, friends. Britney Spears in it up? Yes, pretty much. And it's just my face. Like you could tell I was smiling, but it was one of those like smiles. Like, oh my God, get this thing off me right now. I'm going to no. die. No. Yes. It's it just snakes well, have lived. a bad rep. You lived. I lived. The yes. snake didn't do anything, right? It just chilled. It didn't. It didn't do anything. It was definitely tame. But still, they have a bad rep. I like hearing Raul talking about snakes and uh, having like this whole um, history of healing and wisdom and stuff like that, like I would have never noticed it. But then I think about it at the same time when you mentioned the whole like um, snakes shedding their skin and stuff like that. That really made me remember about like Draco, since obviously he is a Slytherin, but he kind of does the same similar thing towards the end of the series, right? He sheds his old skin as like the typical like school bully and. He actually is a little bit redeemable. So speaking of snakes in Harry Potter, kind of the biggest (laughs) example 
literally and figuratively, are the basilisks. What? And some would think like, oh man, that's such a cool creature that J.K. Rowling just created for a story. Nope. Wrong. Exactly, Jenny. Thank you. Basilisks actually have been um, recorded in several different points in time by several different historians. One example, Pliny the Elder was a, Mm. a famous ancient Roman historian. Wow. Once described these basilisks and even talked about the danger of their glare. That simply their glare could kill somebody. Hey, look at that. Wait, so in history, are they described as actual real things? Like people believed that, and there's writings out there that basilisks exist? So there's actually uh, several different accounts. Like there's one example. I I just, the name escapes me, but there's different uh, pamphlets that are written where people describe these like strange creatures. I got it. I know what it is. It's called a bestiary. Things of that oh, nature. Yeah. You're welcome. Where they, uh, there's been associations between basilisks found in different parts of Africa, like Ethiopia, and the descriptions of them seem kind of far fetched. Like some have described them kind of looking like dragons or feathered creatures with wings when the actual, like, there's actual animals who are called basilisks. Yep. One example, there's a lizard yep. that actually is the one that, if if you've seen the one that can walk on water, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's a, a basilisk. I think it's like the actual name of the species. I think so. But they, they are most commonly referred to as a Jesus Christ lizard. Yeah. Because walking on water. <laughs> walking on water, yeah. But yeah. They, they skim across it so fast. There's no magical abilities within the animal. They literally just walk so fast. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. All right. So on Pottermore, they say these are the magic abilities of a basilisk. Basilisk. I don't know why I made that plural, but um, they have armored skin that can deflect spells. And then obviously we've already talked about their fatal stare. And then something that's so interesting that I kind of just like didn't think about or realize, I guess, is that. They're actually bred by dark wizards. So there's like multiple of these. It's not just like one rare basilisk hidden in the oh. chamber of secrets so i just said uh, there's more there's more than there's one of more these giant than one snakes. of these yes oh i would have assumed so i didn't i really didn't realize this i thought it was just well, kind of like one thing i think i did because newt's commander wrote about it in fantastic beast so uh, i mean yeah he obviously didn't find it at hogwarts so i assume there must have been more yeah i just didn't like i didn't put one and one and one together yeah did not make that association mm-hmm. whatsoever i really pay attention when they talk about the animals so uh, the, bas- <laughs> the basilisk is born from a chicken's egg that is hatched beneath a toad. So it's they're so also random. not just like, it's the most random thing. But I'm actually kind of thankful for it because I feel like it serves as population control. And that's why there's not like thousands upon thousands of basilisks just like but roaming the thank forest. Goodness. Yeah, forest, thank goodness. You know? But that's how you breed it. So I didn't even realize that. Yeah. Like I thought it was just one and it was like rare it was like almost endangered kind of a deal yeah super random but i've always laughed so hard even though it wasn't a funny moment when the basilisk dies in chamber of secrets and it sounds like this like roaring old woman like in pain you you guys have never like like made that association where well, like the basilisk well, is never going really like heard like an old woman roaring in pain. <laughs> I don't know, but so to, I guess no. I guess that's not a good description. <laughs> but to me, it sounds like a, a really weird like female in pain. Really, that, that's what like the basilisk sounds like to me when the basilisk is like dying and like 
writhing around and falling. That's what it sounds like. Oh my goodness. Okay, well, I'm definitely going to have to watch the movie <laughs> and like try and listen for that part. I can't. It makes me crack up every time and I feel bad because it's a super serious part. Like Harry's about to die. The basilisk just died. Ginny's on the floor dying and I'm like And you're cracking just cracking up. up. <laughs> Everyone's dying. <laughs> oh my goodness. I also want to circle it back to um, Raul mentioning what the snake uh, symbolism of snakes are. So I just noticed something too talking about basilisks um is that this dark creature uh contributed to salazar slytherin's wand so his wand is actually uh has a fragment of a basilisk horn uh, which ended up this wand uh with it, it ended up being with this girl this very special girl named isolt sayer um she her aunt her crazy aunt named Grom, gromleth Gaunt, I think I'm pronouncing that wrong, but she'll be a little oh, bit more apparent later. Gormleth, Gormleth Gaunt. There we go, Gormleth Gaunt. Um, but she ended up with the wand, and Isolt um, ended up like stealing with it, and a bunch of things ended up happening. But long story short, uh, she buried the wand, and from the wand, a snakewood tree grew out of the earth on the spot where the wand was buried. And a it was snake wood? Snake wood tree. Yes. Never heard of it in my life. Yes. It's really interesting. It's and this tree becomes really integral when it comes to Ilvermorny. And that's kind of a huge center part of the school is this magical tree that is like impossible to take out. So there's this specific quote that describes a tree it says it resisted all attempts to prune or kill it but after several years the leaves were found to contain powerful medicinal properties this tree seemed testament yes right this tree seemed testament to the fact that slytherin's wand like his scattered descendants encompassed both noble and ignoble wait why was slytherin's wand? how did it end up in america okay so Isolt, like I've mentioned, um, who is pretty much the founder of Ilvermorny, is a descendant of Salazar Slytherin. Oh, so it just like was in the so fam? it's within the family, yeah. Ah. So obviously, when her parents were her parents died, she was taken uh, by her aunt Gormleth, mm-hmm. Gormleth, sorry, whatever her name is, whatever the her Gaunt name lady. is, Gaunt, Miss Mrs. Gaunt or Miss Gaunt, I guess. She actually ended up being the one who killed her parents and then kidnapped her. And we'll talk a little bit more about what her intentions were about that, going into the political themes. But that's how they ended up with the wand is because they are descendants of Salazar Slytherin. That was like a lot of tea that you just dropped. Yes, I did. That was like so much tea. A lot of tea. So while we're on the topic of Ilvermorny, I also want to bring up another big snake that's very important to the story called the Horned Serpent who befriended Isolt um, because she also speaks Parseltongue. Whoa. Yes. Oh, really? She does. Surprise. Again, she is a descendant of Salazar Slytherin. So question. Yes. Does every descendant of Salazar Slytherin speaks Parseltongue or is it like does it skip a couple generations? Is it only a chosen few? That question I cannot answer. Um, I can answer that she didn't know she was a parcel tongue. Like she would, um, so for the horned serpent, he would, I guess it was a, he, I'm assuming gender. I apologize, but the horned serpent would speak to her and she, it was kind of felt like a voice was in her head. So she really didn't know that she was parcel tongue, mainly to do the fact with 
that I think her aunt just wasn't educating her correctly. She was like, I think 16 and never went to Hogwarts. She was homeschooled and stuff. But yeah, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. So probably Asclepius <gasps> was one of the original Slytherins. Maybe. The story goes that the snake imparted this knowledge on him by crawling up to the side of his head and whispering in his ear. Oh. Totally parcel. And I'm so glad that you brought that up too because I wa- the reason why I bring up this horned serpent is he has a very similar vibe to Asclepius. Yes? I got it right. Yay. Pronunciation. So... <laughs> Just as um, Asclepius like encountered this snake, it's mentioned that um, Isolt has a kinship with the horned serpent, which is really strange. She doesn't really understand it, but it says, quote unquote, it would tell her things. So besides, there's like a direct quote where it says, until I am part of your family, your family is doomed, which references back to the whole that, you know, she's a descendant of Slytherin and stuff like that. But pretty much like he just fed her like all this knowledge and ended up later on she ended up having this dream about the horned serpent that led her to see the horned serpent and he ends up giving her a piece of his horn what all this is telling us as lo- as well as all that history tells us about snakes is just listen to them yeah they obviously have a lot of great <laughs> things to say clearly. So clearly you see a snake talking to you just listen yeah you never know what you'll learn <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> All right. So we also see um, some patterns of trees with the noble Slytherin families where they have like really beautiful family tree layouts. Oh. And we're not really sure if it's a coincidence that there aren't any other families outside of like Slytherins and stuff that have like the longstanding tradition. But I would just like to point out that Sirius Black and his family <laughs> have a dope family tree yes. in Vermont's place. And Sirius Black is important, and he must be addressed at all times. That's true. <laughs> oh, my God. I hadn't even noticed that. What? What? It's like brand new information. Brand new information. <laughs> so I think this is it for the snake portion of the evening. And next, we're going to move on to, like, a pretty obvious portion. Duh. It's called witches. What? <laughs> what are they? What are they? <laughs> Hold on to your seats. This is about to be very bewitching segment i'm mad at you that was such a dad joke i am a dad so i'm allowed it (laughs) fun fact i literally looked at raul last night and i was like you've been making dad jokes all your life do you finally feel like your personhood is aligning with your life and he said yes of course i feel very much accomplished in life this is like peak this Uh, is yeah it's probably downhill from here but it's pretty pretty nice peak i like it that's great So, on the topic of witches, there's, I guess, the best way I could describe kind of the what we all think of when we think of the historical context of witchcraft and how it's perceived in the past is kind of encapsulated by this one verse in the Bible. In it's the Bible? A, the, the, the Bible. Bible. <laughs> Otherwise known as the Bible. Like, <laughs> vibes. The basic instructions before leaving Earth. <laughs> So God wanted you to have a very special. God wanted you to have vibes. That's what he called, gave you the Bible. <laughs> I'm dead. It's over. Oh Tap God. out. We're making him choke. Oh no, Raul, don't die. We need to know the history. 
So you meant the Bible, <laughs> correct? <laughs> I meant both. Oh, of course. You definitely get a certain vibe from the Bible. Yes. <laughs> but anyways. Oh, my God. This is from oh the book of Exodus. Wow. Chapter 22, verse 18. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. What does that mean? Don't You're not going to let a witch live. What? Super harsh. That's so mean. Wait, but doesn't the Bible like say don't murder people? Yeah, right. So this is like, there's there's a lot of parts of the Bible that's super aggressive, very smitey, like smiting people. <laughs> Boom. Other part that's like definitely love each other. And the Bible's complicated, guys. Like it's fine. But anyways, follow our other podcast all about theology, <laughs> the Bible. So a lot of the, the imagery and the ideas of witches and witchcraft itself originated a lot from the early the 15th, 16th, and 17th century. Okay. So in the earliest depictions, like the first ever illustrated text on witchcraft back in like 1489, titled On Witches and Female Fortune Tellers. Oh. Kind of the image of witches was a lot of that gendered stereotype we get of Women who had succumbed to the devil, who used uh, their witchcraft for malicious purposes. And there was this idea that women were more susceptible to the temptations of the devil and the temptations of witchcraft. And were more likely than men to participate in this type of evil act. Thanks, Eve. Wow. This is... What, what an atrocious... Slight to women in history. Wow, seriously. But it wasn't always that way. Like it actually started off. Witchcraft wasn't something that was systematically defined. It was kind of this like melting pot of different beliefs and ritual practices. And a lot of it was centered around this idea of manipulating these supernatural forces to help protect you, protect others, to provide relief especially in terms of medicinal purposes. Like an airbender. I mean... Hashtag multivendum. Sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with that. So I actually want to uh, read you guys a quote from a historian by the name of James Obelkovich. Kind of describing the, the witchcraft at this time. And he described it as, it was a large, loose, pluralistic affair without any clear unifying principle. It encompassed superhuman beings and forces, witches and wise men, and a mass of low-grade magical and superstitious practices. The whole was less than the sum of its parts. What? I'm kind of offended. Why? I don't know. I'm just like thinking of like if... So I like to refer to myself as a witch, even though I'm like, unfortunately, a muggle. But I'm 100% that witch. Yes. So... <laughs> But, like, describing magic as, like, that witches do is, like, low-grade magical and the whole was less than the sum of its parts. I'm like, excuse? Excuse you. Witches are awesome. We're pretty amazing. And they can do awesome things that no one else can do. So, suck it. Feminism. I feel a lot of negative emotions targeted at this historian. (laughs) So, just to give you a picture of kind of the witchcraft and magic he was referring to. A lot of these people, these specialists of magic, were a lot of times called cunning folk. 
Ooh, cunning. Like Slytherin? <laughs> and a lot of them were sought after for medical reasons. And in particular, when people thought they had been bewitched, they would seek these cunning folk to help them. One of the examples is there was this guy by the name of John Wrightson called the Wise Man of Stokesley. Now, this is a, an area in the northern part of England, and he just kind of helped people with bewitched horses. Bet it, money he was training them. Probably. Oh, no. Come at me, bro. I would also like to say that if it's medicinal purposes, that's so Slytherin, these cunning folk. Just saying how everything relates. Does everything relate to snakes? I think so now. I think so now. <laughs> I'm pretty positive John Wrightson was just like an animal behaviorist. I, oh, I'm literally, maybe. I'm telling you, bro. He was like, oh, your horse has problems? Oh, I got the magic. And he was really using he, like early forms of operant conditioning. Yep, just, you know, positive reinforcement. I'm here for it. <laughs> he was like, these are magic carrots. They're going to help your horse calm down. <laughs> exactly. There's this like... Super harmless idea of what witchcraft and magic represented. And yet you have the Bible talking about like, yeah, you see a witch. It's got to go. <laughs> it's got to go. <laughs> and so that brings Get up. Get out of here. So those are the ideas. Back then, the church was like, was not optimistic at all. The idea was if anything bad happened to you, like being bewitched, you deserved it. You clearly were sinful. <gasps> oh, and terrible. Ah, but that's kind of like karma, though. Like, even in Buddhist culture and stuff, when you come into, like, your next reincarnation, they're like, oh, you became a plant. That's on you, bro. Just saying. Wow. I feel like, though, the church got very, very harsh about it. Yeah. It's Maybe. done that before. Yeah. <laughs> and so th there was then this, this whole description of magic, of it being malevolent, of it being used for evil purposes, and there's a term of uh, maleficium. That's the Latin phrase. Getting fancy on y'all. Maleficent has like half of those letters. Ah. Just saying. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yes. It's almost like Disney did it on purpose because she's Whoa. an evil witch. Whoa. Oh! Whoa. <laughs> Conspiracy. Conspiracy. <laughs> Hashtag multi-fandom. Hashtag political things. Hashtag political things. So that brings us to the point in time when it was very bad to be a witch or even to be accused of witchcraft. No. So during the... the I think I know where we're going. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If anyone's ever read... Oh, God. What's that play? The Crucible. The Crucible. Boom. Got you with the facts. Yeah. Hashtag facts. Y'all know where we're going. Hashtag multifandom. Hashtag multifandom. So we got... In the 16th and 17th centuries, what was known as the Great Witch Hunt. And mm. a lot of it stemmed from the fact that the idea and practices of witchcraft were beginning to be associated with worship of the devil. And this idea that people who were involved with witchcraft were part of some type of diabolical cult that were... Yes, Jenny? I have a question. Was it the church that started to assign people that were like dealing with magic or kind of like dealing with the devil? Like, did it just come about from the people? Like, do we know where that started? So it's very interesting that you bring that up. Early on, a lot of it was driven by this religious zeal, this idea that you are trying to manipulate things that were predetermined and formed by God. 
Okay. And this idea of you messing with God's divine plan and his work was just unheard of. You don't do that. Clearly Big no-no. Yes. So clearly, you were involved with Satan. You were involved with some type of diabolical cult. And you were using this to wish that something bad would happen to your neighbor. That someone would die. That ill fortune would fall upon your neighbor's house. Things of that nature. Mm-hmm. But in other... In other instances, it was kind of blown out of proportion. Like, you would think that a lot of this was brought out by the higher-ups, that the the authority figures of all these different countries wanted to root out witchcraft and mm-hmm. evil from their countries. But a lot of it was really, really petty. Like, neighbors not liking Ooh, other live. neighbors. And it's like, you know what? They kind of walked out from my house and were like muttering under their breath Clearly, they were casting a spell. Judgy. Just the other day, I slipped and fell. Coincidence? No. (laughs) Witchcraft. (laughs) Witchcraft. Wait, I'm living for this petty drama. That's the witchcraft, sis. (laughs) That's really the witchcraft. Just to show you how absurd it is, even the Spanish, during the period of the Inquisition, where they literally tortured people for whatever reason they saw fit, even they're like, you know what? I don't quite buy this whole like cult thing with witchcraft. It doesn't seem that big of a deal. If they could even move on from it, but people were then accusing their neighbors of like, nah, nah, she's a witch. She's totally trying to like mess with my crops. Shows that a lot of it was driven by like jealousy as opposed to from some type of organized movement from up above from authority figures or governments. Wow. Yeah, I would have expected something of like they're just trying to find an enemy, a common enemy for people, and they kind of just created this whole scenario. But wow, I'm blown. It also doesn't help that witches, correct me if I'm wrong, Raul, back um, during this time were almost always women. They were almost always poorer than their neighbors. So there was always like this association with being less than that, like being less than being other where we're going later with our political themes. So they were like the outcast, the crazy lady in the old house at the end of the road. So it was that just like that negative association with being an old woman. Cause most, most witches that were accused back then were old women. Correct. That is correct. But the accusers were often women themselves as well. Wow. It's girl on girl crime. Uh, we talked girl, okay. about this in Mean Girls. We've already gotten the lecture. We need to stop. Yeah. Girls, be nice to each other. Look at what we did in history. Look out for each other. Work as a We're, team. You know, Support each other. Start a podcast. <laughs> start be a, a podcast together. <laughs> be a broom chick. We welcome all broom chicks of all ages and all genders. And be and broom dudes. Hey, broom dudes. No, they're all broom chicks. No, broom dudes is like Raul. I can. I'm totally okay with being a broom chick. chick. (laughs) That's the whole point. Uh, Though I'm still waiting for my own shirt. Like the chick. I want a shirt. I'm just saying. Only we have the shirts. Or you know, I'd settle for like a koozie or a coaster. A koozie, Mm, maybe. Merch. Merch. Get to it. Yeah. So hey, side note, fans, if anyone (laughs) wants merch. Hit us up. Should we create merch? Is this something you all want to see? If you guys are interested, let us know. Why not? I like that we took a break from the 16th century great witch hunt to talk about possible merch. merch. (laughs) 
Just plug it in. Great sidebars. I right. love them. Sidebar. And obviously to seamlessly bring it back to the 16th century. Yes. <laughs> Where they had koozies. <laughs> totally. Where koozies were actually invented. Whoa. In the <laughs> s- southwestern region of Scotland. That is uh, completely false. <laughs> I admit it. Saying that. Okay. No need for corrections. No corrections. He There's knows, no alleged. I don't like it. Anyways. It actually got to the point, one of the reasons those witch hunts and a lot of those um, trials became less and less frequent was actually they realized it's kind of hard to prove that you committed witchcraft. <laughs> and a lot of these lawyers and judges got to the point where they didn't want to even hear these cases because it was kind of ridiculous for them to try and prove that your neighbor cast a curse on your horse <laughs> To buckle and throw you off and cause you to, I don't know, hit your head or what have you. It's like the boy who cried wolf. I'd love to think and like, let's say this is all happening in real life. You know, witches and wizards in the wizarding world actually exist. I'd love to think that all the witches and wizards back in the day were kind of like like sniggering behind their hands. Oh, there was one of them who used to love to get caught. Really? Yes. yes. I'm having a flashback to Pottermore. I cannot remember her name. She used to dress up in different disguises and get caught like 70 or plus times. And then like obviously if she was ever in like a life or death situation, she could always like just apparate out of there, it, right? Yeah, she would make it so the fire would tickle her. <laughs> I've got to find it somewhere. I'll fact check it. I'll get it to you. I promise. Somewhere. It's somewhere F- out there. <laughs> Fun fact about that. If a witch was accused in England... They wouldn't have been burned. What would they have been? So the the act of executing someone by burning them at the stake was reserved for crimes that were considered heresy. Mm-hmm. So essentially, but England actually in their the few laws that they actually passed through outlawing and defining witchcraft considered it a felony, not heresy. So essentially, you'd be hung, but you wouldn't be burned at the stake. What do you actually, know why they decided those things? Like, what was the thought process behind hanging versus like burned alive? So it all depended on like whether the the church itself deemed it going against whatever the the, the beliefs were at the time. Uh-huh. The church, especially in England, didn't see it as witchcraft being something uh, overt, like act of the devil trying to subvert the church and draw people into sin into some type of diabolical cult. They weren't really buying into that, but there was this idea of people. So essentially the first law that was passed through was there was this rumor back when Queen Elizabeth the first was reigning that there was this conspiracy of people trying to commit some type of sorcery against the queen. I can believe that. And when those rumors started circulating, her court started looking through the books and realize there's no law against sorcery and like, Hmm. huh, maybe we should do something about that. And so it wasn't until that point that they actually like codified the first law against witchcraft, but you know, being hung, being burned at the stake is still pretty, they're all pretty terrible, but yeah, but it's just so weird. The thought process, this, this crime is going to get a hanging, but this crime is going to get a burn at the stake. It's people, just interesting. Yeah, people back then were super crazy. <laughs> so, um, 
during this time in like the the 1600s the 1700s bringing it back to Harry Potter this is around the time when they the wizarding world realized that the statute of secrecy needed to be created for their own protection because mm-hmm. they were being hunted not only in England but I guess they were being more severely hunted in a, in America and we're, mm-hmm. we'll talk about that next but this is when the wizarding world decided we need to protect ourselves either people abuse our magic or they misbelieve what we're doing and now like our lives are at stake even though like they really weren't because you know witches could probably get out of any situation <laughs> that muggles could put them in but they just Still. decided to live their own life separate yeah uh i'm not sure if you wanted to talk more about it but and we know that the salem witch trials happened around the, like the 1690s and it's actually really interesting because the statute of secrecy was first signed in 1689 um just a year before the so those supposed trials happened but it wasn't actually established officially until 1692 so it was already in full-fledged so definitely with the events of the salem witch trials mm-hmm. uh, you can understand from the Fantastic Beasts point of view mm-hmm. why they are so in on this idea of keeping magic a secret. Mm-hmm. Because people who thought they had seen magic went ballistic. Bonkers. And it's one of the most characteristic events in history when we think of witchcraft and as, as well as the hysteria that's commonly associated mm-hmm. with witchcraft. The most interesting part about that is this theory that's pretty popular in terms of why. Why did these people go crazy and think that these girls, Mm -hmm. most of them very young girls, had suddenly joined this uh, into a cult and were convening to commit these acts of witchcraft and sorcery to bring about death and malicious intent onto this village. Mm Mm-hmm. A lot of it is a lot of people back then, a lot of these villages, people aren't as educated. And also people are suffering through some really rough times. It sucked to live back then in mm-hmm. the 16th and 17th century. I can imagine. I would not want to be in that so scenario. When, yeah. So when you saw someone, you know, maybe were better off than you or slighted you in some way, got an extra, you know, they got a little bit extra return off of their crops than you did. Yeah. You'd start these ideas have a nice fertile ground for them to plant and kind of fester in there till they get to the point where once that angry mob mentality goes through, mm-hmm. there's there's no turning back from it. Yeah, well, that's what happens in The Crucible, right? That we're the Spoiler whole I- alert! Well, listen, if you didn't read The Crucible in high school, Jenny, I don't know what to tell you. But anyways, so in The Crucible, that's basically like how the whole thing happened, where it was like Abigail... I think it's the character, if I'm mistaken. Don't correct me, I swear. I'm pretty Um, sure it's Abigail. I think it's Abigail. She falls in love with John Proctor. But obviously, he's married, like, dedicated to his wife. And just because he's like, nah, I don't dig it, she goes off and starts doing all this crazy, craziness things. Oh, I gotta read this. Yes, you do. Sounds pretty good. Yes. (laughs) And I I would love to do it as a play one day. It'd be cool to direct. And a lot of people associated... Uh, that kind of craziness mm-hmm. with fungus. Fungus? Yeah. That's gross. So there was this fungus. I'm pretty sure I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly, so Amazing. I'm already stating this. It's ergot, something of that nature. It's spelled ergot? E-R-G-O-T. 
ergot. It's a fungus that would grow on rye, which was very common grain back then. Yes. Mm -hmm. In a lot of places, especially in Salem, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Now, this fungus can poison you. In very high doses, it will kill you and cause this kind of gangrenous disease, which essentially your tissue kind of die and your skin kind of like sloughs off. It is awful. Mm. Very bad. But in low doses, it has a lot of side effects to your nervous system, can cause a lot of convulsions, psychosis, and mania. (laughs) Now you think about it, you're shaking all over the place. You're hallucinating, seeing things. Back then, there was an association that witches would meet in the night, get together, and they would dance, celebrate the devil. They would feast on the innocent. And ah, uh, yes, all the witch things. You know, <laughs> common, common witch things. What we, what we all do. You Whatever. Know. Every Friday night. You know. And so now you think about it, if you're hallucinating, you're tripping out of your mind. You could totally see how someone would think, "Hey, are they like?" Committing witchcraft? <laughs> totally committing looks like witchcraft. that. You know what? Because they're, they're, they're ta- insane. They're talking about like seeing the devil at night. Totally witchcraft. These people are bonkers. So these people were basically, if they weren't dying, they were high. They were like poisoned. Yes. Wow, that's wild. I love how you said, oh, they were high. <laughs> yes, they had to have been. This is like, probably what other like, way to say w- it? Like another form of like pot smokers yes oh my God. they had no idea or, or like like what what's what's like a I, i'm not very well versed on like recreational drugs but like <laughs> what what is it like molly or something that shrooms. makes you like trip shrooms yeah bro tripping on lsd shrooms. yes because this actual fungus has compounds that are very similar in their effects as lsd my jaws uh, yeah. dropped. The scientist Yo, Lucy who... Lucy in the sky with diamonds. Yeah. <laughs> the scientist who actually discovered the properties of LSD was kind of uh, helped along by this type of fungus. What? So basically... Don't do drugs. Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to cause the Salem Witch Trials Part 2. Part 2. <laughs> oh, God. But these witches were flying high. <laughs> yeah, they were. They're... It's a pun. Oh, man. And perfect transition. <laughs> Amazing. Because these type of substances that would cause these hallucinations were actually used by witches. They're really? called witches' brews. Ah. And they would essentially apply them to their bodies what? because <laughs> ingesting them, though you'd trip out and get that high, you'd also get a lot of undesirable effects like <laughs> diarrhea and nausea. Mm. But they no. found out if I rubbed it on certain parts of my skin, hey, it feels pretty good. I don't get that nausea and diarrhea. You just get the high? You just get the high. Oh, my god. And the, the common places were under your armpits and in certain uh, unmentionables. Unmentionables. <laughs> the unspeakables? And the unforgivables? Brooms, the apparently. Brooms. I'm not, I am not kidding you. Brooms were apparently very good tools for applying the witch's brew. Which is uh, why witches were shown to ride broomsticks. No. Well, now I'm mad at our logo. <laughs> now I don't know if I but, like this but, anymore. But we're going to have to change we're, it. We're going to ignore. This is the part of history that kind of like takes off like the sheen and magic. We're going to ignore that. 
Aww. and totally think that it's just it's just all actual magic and not that gross stuff. Well, the next time. Well, I, I'm so shook right now. It's a little too much for That's me. Super gross. <laughs> I'm never going to pretend to ride a broom again. Never. <laughs> I kind of want to change our logo. <laughs> I feel like anytime I touch a broom now, I'm going to be like, ah. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm never getting invited onto this podcast again. I'm <laughs> so sorry. Again. I'm sorry if you're like driving to work. If you're playing, <laughs> people have heard this. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Oh, man. What a, what a way. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> So I wanted to bring up something that I thought was really interesting. Now going back to the more fun. Is it after what we've just learned, is it actually interesting? It is interesting. It's fun. It's magical history. But uh, so we actually learned that Mekuza was created in 1693. And I just thought it was so funny because it's so before our own American established government um, oh. with a president and everything. And joke. Joe said it herself that Makuza has a very similar structure when it comes to um, the government. It sh- it reflects the American government as well for the no badges. So, so my point is, if it was implemented in 1693, I think the wizarding community invented America's dem- uh, democratic structure. Boom. Clearly, George Washington. I'm putting was that out there. <laughs> George Washington was a wizard. Bum, bum, bum. I'm it saying was it right here. Actually, Benjamin Franklin. Okay, there we go. The so Benjamin Franklin was a wizard. Of the kite and his experiments with electricity was that was all magic. That's not yes. actual science. It was all magic. <laughs> it's not actual. Science. Benjamin Franklin, man. Our founders were wizards. Well, wizard. wizard. So now I feel a little bit better. Like I'll look at our American democracy now and be like. Thank you, witches and wizards. <laughs> Even no though it's comment. like probably not. No. No comment. No comment. But I think that's that's my little theory. I need Joe to not confirm. Just agree with me, Joe. Just agree <laughs> with me. I would also like to mention that this is really fun that the British Ministry of Magic wasn't even formally founded until 1707. Hella late. Hella so, late. Makuza was invented before the British Ministry yes. of Magic? Yes. Interesting. And um, going back to the statute of secrecy, there is this quote that I found, and it says, In Great Britain, the newly created Ministry of Magic attempted to liaise, liaise, thank you, with the Muggle British monarch, then jointly William III and Mary II, via a special ministry delegation begging them for the protection of wizards under Muggle law. The failure of this attempt at official recognition and protection seems to have been the final straw that forced wizard kind to voluntarily move into the opposite direction towards secrecy. So they tried. They tried to go instead of the statute of secrecy route. They tried to be protected under the muggle laws as wizards. But I guess that didn't really work. So um, that kind of just pushed them to create their own government and then go under the International Confederation of Wizards and go under that very important statute. How do you guys feel about the statute of secrecy? Are you for or against? (sighs) That's a really really big question. question. Um, I'm Uh going to say for because one, I'm not really ready for this (laughs) question. So that's just, I just feel that because we were growing up with the statute of secrecy. I mean, 
we only know anything outside of that or being against the idea now with Fantastic Beasts. But we grew up in a in the idea of the Harry Potter Wizarding World being secluded and something special because it was hidden and it was only known to the wizarding community. And I think there's something really cool about that, really special. It obviously comes with a lot of protection. The wizarding communities like Godric's Hollow wouldn't exist without that. Um, clearly, there hasn't been a Salem witch trial since the statute was implemented. So, I don't know. I, I, I want to say I'm for it. What do you guys think? I'm not necessarily against it, but it yeah. seems overwhelmingly unfair that you have no control over whether you're born with magical ability or not. And then if you are, you automatically have to hide a huge part of yourself from the majority of like the general public. That I- seems unfair, but also like let's take the Salem witch trials as an example. Easily like hundreds of muggles could have died. So it's like it kind of seems like it's maybe the better choice just like in terms of keeping the peace. But even then, because of the wizarding communities, you could grow up without needing to hide magic. Yeah. Your I mean, if community you would be hidden, to live there. If you just happen to be born into that community, I, I understand that. It's but more it's like, from a muggle born half blood like, perspective. Exa- I guess. I don't know. They have more complications with it. Yeah. But, um, yeah. But, I mean, on that same note, the idea of, like, humans in general, we don't have the greatest track record when it comes to being exposed to things that are different that we don't understand. But at the same time, there's plenty of bad people who are part of the wizarding community who did bad things. Yeah. They were aware of magic. So the idea that it's, you know, there is a protective element to it. At the same time, there's... I'm very optimistic person, and so I would like to think that we'd be able to eventually get past that and find a point where we're but also, peacefully joined. Like you saying that also raises the question, like in the case of Grindelwald, like if he wasn't so upset about having to be hid and having to live in secrecy, would he have even tried to overtake and rule like the muggle population and say, this is our rightful place, it's above you, instead of having the chance from when you're a small child saying that you're equal, you are just different. Well, that's also assuming that that was the actual reason, reason he did yeah. that. That's true. Cause it also could have been that it was a convenient narrative for yeah. him to use to help manipulate people around him. Mm-hmm. Again, that's a very useful tool that's already at his disposal because you have people who are upset about that very same mm-hmm. thing. And so you can easily stir up those emotions by poking at that fire yeah you're creating an enemy without necessarily believing in it and thinking that it's an actual issue Mm -hmm. would there have been as many obscurials because if you think about it like the secrecy portion of all of this right is is the reason why so many people are trying to kind of like squander their magic and they're running into these problems is because of the statute of secrecy sometimes so i wonder if it would have had like less of a turnout of obscurials than we had with the statute of secrecy. I think we're going to talk about it a little bit more in our political themes portion of this episode, um, especially with like the convenient narrative to get people riled up. Um, there's a lot of parallels in the muggle world, but I don't know for me, the statute of secrecy, I understand protecting 
witches and wizards because their magic can be very easily abused and manipulated. But I also am coming from a perspective of like, can't you, couldn't witches and wizards have solved a lot of problems with their magic? And I understand like, you don't want to like over abuse it, but it's not like it's all, it's hard work Mm -hmm. for them to solve some of our world's problems. It could have been a whole other like, job section yeah it could like their world it could have been a section and a lot of these things it's just like a flick of the wand or or like it's not i just have like some issues like a lot of diseases could have been cured people who have been in pain for years could have had magical remedies to their pain yeah people with broken bones could have been fixed overnight you know especially with the whole healing aspect that we were talking about I feel like witches and wizards, especially in that aspect, could have done so much for us. And they could have been our healers if they wanted to go that route and help us a lot with those people in pain. And who knows? Like, I don't I don't know if cancer is a thing in the wizarding world. If that's a thing that could be cured. But if it if it is and they're keeping that from us. Whoa. Um, so I didn't. Uh, included in the notes that but while I was researching and this is I'm not talking unfortunately real life history I'm talking wizarding world history so it's mentioned that a huge portion of the issues out of that hysteria of witches and those trials against them and hunting them down was because neighbors would know if there was a local wizarding family and they would go to them with their problems and their issues and stuff like that. And sometimes, you know, those families would um, be be helpful. They would help their neighbors yeah. out. Sometimes they would share that information along. Like, I know so-and-so that can help you out. And I think what ended up happening is that um, it, got, it got to a point that it was so accumulative that wizards and witches started saying no to certain things. Obviously, think about it in, in the case where... One day it's a, I cut myself up and you healed my cut. The next day it's, oh my God, please save my son from dying from this certain disease. And then the next day it's someone stole my job. I need to get back at them. Please help me. You're my brother or something like that. You know, it started getting to a point where people were abusing Mm -hmm. that, um, that help from them and if a wizard or a witch were to say no then they were outed basically to the rest of the community i just feel like maybe kind of like what jenny said maybe if it was like regulated Regulated, yeah there was like a part of wizarding government that aided muggles um and there was just a department so muggles knew it's kind of like like muggles or wizard aided like muggles aided wizards wizards aiding muggles so like if muggles needed a problem that usually only a wizard could fix there would be like a wizard 911 and there would be a certain like task force to come and like help that problem isn't so, this kind of like the the basis of the wizard in the hopping pot isn't it like there's a wizard that lives in a hut in a village and people come to see him for him to help I would have to reread Tales of Beetle in the Bar yeah. to tell like, you. It's like tickling at the back of my mind. <laughs> Distant like memory. Distant memories are occurring. I want to say it is because Tale of Beetle the Bard, again, it's kind of 
hashtag political themes because not and it's not just like jokingly it's because it is a children's tale and that was the easiest way to kind of pass on the stories while also teaching the the children of you know their cultural their morals their ethics whatever so i would i wouldn't be surprised if it was i'm pretty sure um now going back to your point elizabeth i agree there probably could have been a way to regulating it but if we're gonna get political it's kind of in a sense of the whole debate of why insurance in should it be government controlled or should everyone have universal health care kind of a similar idea so would that be fair to the wizards how do they how do they say yes to something and no to something is there how like is there a certain criteria that if you put in your request of you know help help me please and then it's like okay but how long does that take what are the requirements for them to accept your proposal to help them out Mm, what does that look like so yes they could regulate it but then when government takes it it's like "Mm." but also think about it so if you like register right and you're gonna be one of these people that's like eating muggles with their problems what's gonna stop a muggle from being like i think that girl's a witch and she can help me like let's make her so what's gonna stop them from doing stuff like that so yeah. on the whole i think that the statute of secrecy was kind of like a necessary evil if yeah we're gonna call yeah it that. like not that it was yeah. evil but for lack of a better term yeah it was kind of like there are pros and cons but maybe the cons outweighed the pros the pros yeah. and like concerns of safety and stuff like that so they were just like it's better to all hide mm-hmm. together and then reveal it little by little to the people that we truly love or you know become part of fortunate our enough or whatever yeah and then it was kind of just better to be hidden all around. Yeah. Can I can I just say I also think uh wizards would have benefited from having muggles in their lives because when I first read Harry Potter, I didn't realize that it took place in the 1990s because everything was so outdated. Yeah. Like their technology is so old and I'm like why are you waiting probably days for your owl to travel across the country <laughs> when by like the late 90s, all you had to do was send an email. Do you know that this is or so make funny a phone call. that you literally bring this up right now? Because every single time that I read about Sirius Black and Harry thinking that he's in the freaking Hall of Prophecies, I'm like, you could have literally just texted your godfather and been like, yo, you home? And he could have been like, yep, what's up? <laughs> like. So many problems could have been solved. Sorry, did Dobby steal your text messages from Ron and Hermione? No, he didn't. (laughs) Chamber secrets. Was texting texting a thing in the late 90s? No, but phone calls were. Phone Phone calls calls were. Yeah. Phone calls. But could you imagine texting? (laughs) Emails. It came soon, right? Yeah. Texting. It came soon. Later, like a couple. I think texting. Five years later. Texting happened after ninety seven. Two, after two thousands, yeah, at least. So yeah, whatever. Somewhere around there. Either way, two. Yes. I don't think Hogwarts had a landline. I'm sorry. <laughs> um. Well, that's because the Muggle stuff doesn't work at Hogwarts. And if you would have read Hogwarts a history, Ooh. you would know that. Well, also their magic, so they could have made it work if they really needed an Very emergency true. landline. Right, so just so you guys know, the first text message was sent in nineteen ninety two. Well, before wow. Sirius Black died. Wow. Wouldn't you like to know what was in that text message? Yes. Because I Actually, definitely want to we know. we have it. Oh, 
Go for it. Are you ready? Wow. Yes. History. Merry Christmas. <laughs> so, Hashtag Elizabeth, <laughs> this is for you. Christmas still, is my favorite holiday. I think my body like prepared for my daughter to be born <laughs> on Christmas Eve Eve. Her birthday is December 23rd. Christmas and it's just Eve Eve. I just had three days of celebrating and it's wonderful. I also like remember from the last episode of Professor Flitwick and his decorating hobby. Yes. yes. Decorating yes. the halls just for Christmas. So everyone knows so that you have this useless piece of information. Jenny's favorite time of year starts promptly on October 1st and yes. continues until February 1st. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. Same for me. I'm actually already buying Halloween and fall decorations. Literally did that today. Yep. It's collecting. And October 1st, it all goes up. Yep. I appreciate the seasons. However, I'm too lazy to decorate. It's just so exciting. It's it's get ready. It's Halloween. My birthday. My mom's birthday. Thanksgiving. Christmas. New. It's just so much fun. So much fun. So much fun. You know, like kind of cold sometimes. You should extend it, though, to my birthday in March, and then the fun is over. Okay, fine. But either way, to wrap this up and move on to the next section, I just want to point out that in the 17th century, we also had the same time where Ilvermorny originated as, quote-unquote, merely just a little hut. And then also, a little honorable mention, the Salem Witches Institute, which is mentioned in Goblet of Fire with a, quote-unquote, spangled banner. Um, But later... At first, it was kind of thought to be the American school, but it actually wasn't. So Joe ended up revealing it's actually a play on the Women's Institute of the United Kingdom. When is that mentioned in the Goblet of Fire? I It's somewhere in one of the tournaments. I'm not sure. but Yeah, I'm drawing a huge blank on that. But it's in Goblet of Fire. Yes. I want so those because, questions answered. Because people meant... The reason why it was brought up before Goblet of Fire was published, people were asking already uh, J.K. Rowling if people from America could go to Hogwarts, and she said no. And then she was like, you'll wait and find out in uh, the Goblet of Fire or whatever. And then it that's our first introduction to all the different other schools. Um, obviously, we don't know about, like, uh, we didn't find out about Overmorning in that book. But we found out about the other schools, like Durmstrang and Bobby. Yeah. And so kind of gave us an idea that... Um, only those people in the region could go to Hogwarts. So, All right. Yeah. So our next section, we're going to be talking about the purity of blood. We are Whoa. beginning our hashtag, hashtag political, political themes. themes. Wow. All right. So one of the first things that comes to mind when you're thinking of a correlate between this idea of purity of blood and just our own personal history is the concepts of race. Now, overall, it's something that's very fluid. Throughout time, throughout different social and cultural contexts, what people define as race, as whether what defines someone as white, what defines someone as black or Hispanic or what, what have you. It's very different depending on where you're coming from. So back, just to give an example, during the time when um, uh, the, the American colonies when slavery was still very much a thing, unfortunately, that there was this idea that you were legally white if you had less than one-eighth or one-fourth African ancestry. Now, a lot of that depended on where, what state you were in or colony at that point in time. 
very famous example, Thomas Jefferson was known to have had a relationship with one of his slaves, Sally Hemings, and actually fathered six mixed-race children. Because it was uh, the mother was a slave, they were all born into slavery, but were technically legally white because they were seventh-eighths European ancestry. So it's already, mm. just off the bat, the idea of who you are and what you're identified in, what group or circle you're put into was very much complex, was very subjective, and obviously was in this context of one was perceived as better than the other, even though that's just a load of baloney. Wow. Um, jumping into Harry Potter and slavery, even in the 90s, we get... Um, the slavery of the house elves, mm -hmm. which is a huge thing. And I pulled up this quote from the Goblet of Fire that really resonated with me because it's kind of the same mentality of slavery back then, like in, in our world. And I'm going to read you the quote. This is Hermione. You know, house elves get a very raw deal. It's slavery. That's what it is. That Mr. Crouch made her go up to the top of the stadium and she was terrified. And he's got her bewitched so she can't even run when they start trampling tents. Why doesn't anyone do something about it? Ron? Well, the elves are happy, aren't they? You heard old Winky back at the match. House elves is not supposed to have fun. That's what she likes, being bossed around. Hermione, it's people like you, Ron who prop up rotten and unjust systems just because they're too lazy to change it. Mm. Wow. That actually brings up a super interesting point. Yeah. And this idea of, you think about it from Ron's perspective, what's the likelihood? Well, I, I, first off, I'm not sure in terms of the wizarding history, if there was anything akin to the uh, slavery, like there is in our history whether there's ever a point in time where a certain group was subjected to the, I mean, obviously with house elves, but with actual, you know, uh, humans to other humans, this whole idea. Mm -hmm. And it also bring, it brings up the idea of ignorance playing a part in this. Mm -hmm. Here in the U.S., for a long time, longer than it should have, there was many schools where in the history textbooks, slavery wasn't defined as a group of people being forcibly taken from their homes across the ocean to work against their will here in the colonies. They were often labeled as workers, people who were uh, brought in and hired to carry out a job wow. willingly. And this idea that was very common as a way to justify this behavior and this situation that was very profitable for a certain group was the idea that they were born they were made for this that these that a certain group of people who were meant to be subjected to be subservient very similarly to how a lot of wizards perceived house elves and it's the idea that a lot of it is just plain ignorance that plays a part into perpetuating these stereotypes of they were just made for this this is what they were destined to be so i think ron serves a really pivotal purpose here as, as far yeah. as functionality in the book. 
it wouldn't have had, I think, the same impact if Ron was like, yeah, Hermione, like, you're totally right. We've got to change this because I think he is serving the purpose of telling you where the wizarding world has been coming from and what he has known from growing up in it. And so I think that that reminds you a lot of the fact that whenever you're trying to take down an unjust system or something that's corrupt in that way, like your first thing that you want to do is you have to start an education and awareness because if not, like if you're told something from the time that you're a small child, you just grow up believing that that is fact, right? Like we all grow up think I used to think literally my mom knew everything. Because that's just what you're talking about. Like, I literally, I took that yep. to heart. I was like, my parents know everything. They have lived thus far. They know it all. And I think that, that he's serving a very specific function within the context of that book. Yeah, definitely. Um, but something that also comes up when we're talking about house elves is obviously Hermione creating the Society for the Promotion of Elfish Welfare, S-P-E-W, a.k.a. SPEW. Um, but obviously, I mean, it's super cool the way that she creates this, like she's super chilling, like 14 years old. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to take this on. This is a huge problem. Um, but I almost feel like she goes about it in the wrong way. Definitely. Because it's not only like what she's doing with Ron and Harry or whatever. She's kind of like manipulating them into trying to do something that all their life has been taught is wrong. And they're like, no, this is like the purpose of our species basically and i don't yeah. know like reading the book where she's like trying to forcibly make them like pick up stuff like behind their backs almost mm-hmm. i i was like whoa like what are we doing i was gonna say wasn't it weren't there most of the house elves didn't even support spew no, that yeah, they were they against it they didn't it was and just they dobby actually, yeah, yeah they stopped actually cleaning the common room because they were so pissed that they were going to like mistakenly pick up a hat or a sock. And mm-hmm. so actually Dobby was the only one that would clean that common room anymore because all of the other elves were like, what is this girl trying to do? And they actually took it as like a really negative thing that she was doing to yeah. them. So this actually brings up a really good point when it comes to political movements and making mm-hmm. changes in yeah, these unjust system. Yeah. Because if you are the oppressor or the 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 race that is considered the oppressor and you are the one who need who wants to make the change you need to consider what the oppressed yes absolutely and that's that was my biggest issue with Hermione because obviously in the end I think that what she's doing was right yeah she's trying to get them fair wages like vacation time things that we take like for granted in this muggle world of ours but she went about it, I think, in just the wrong way. Like, yeah. she didn't even sit down and explain to them, like, this is something that you are entitled to yeah. as a living being. She was just like, you're going to like this. I don't care. It's yeah. Like, and it's it, the spectrums of, like, the extremes. So yeah. we've got one side where it's they're literally oppressing them. They're giving them these unfair living conditions and whatnot. And then the other side is the... This is what you should get. This is what you should want. Yeah. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to get it to you. I'm going to fight for you. And, and it, you don't even know the, you don't know their scenarios, mm-hmm. their opinions. You didn't get a chance to it's talk to them. It's another form of oppressing them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It, it really is. And so it, it kind of reminds me like with the feminist movement, um, yeah. the, the, the definition of mansplaining. Yes. Yes. So, you know, uh, there are some, you know, honest, honest to good men that had like good intentions 
with supporting the women's movement and feminism. Mm -hmm. However, they didn't really consult with women what they wanted. They kind of told women what they wanted. Yes. And there there was even like that with um, the civil rights movement, too. Mm -hmm. There were, you know white people who thought they knew what was best for the Mm african-americans and there are a bunch of african-americans be like whoa there yeah you have never stepped a day in my shoes don't you dare Mm -hmm. think that you know what we're going through yeah because obviously uh, if you are white and i consider myself even though i'm a hispanic my skin is pale so i am a white hispanic I know I have some white privilege. However, if I'm going to speak on the behalf of someone, I'm going to make sure that I'm listening to listening to what they have to say and whatever they're saying, I'm speaking for them. But I'm not making my opinion based on their experiences. Like whatever they want, they obviously have more of a say than I do. I'm not going to tell them what they should have and what they should want. Obviously, I want to help them, yeah. but it that is their life. That's their truth. Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe a better way for Hermione to gone about this is maybe, again, sit down with the house elves, let them know, like, hey, just so you know, these are things you could have. Mm -hmm. But if there's, like, something of your life that you could change right now, you know, what would it be? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, it's also that they're like indoctrinated. They're yeah. indoctrinated yes. beliefs, right? They're like, no, like this is what I do as a house. I'm like Winky is so oh, Winky. unbelievably yeah. upset about what's going on. And it could have been taken in such a different direction. And she just didn't go there. Yeah. Which is beyond me that she starts this whole society. A great thing to do. She's really working towards this great accomplishment. And she never once sat down and said, what's going on? Yeah. What also freaks me out about this whole situation is the weird magic that like binds them to their owners, quote unquote. Yeah. What wizard created that bind? Yeah. And like, where does it come from? Like, why has no one undone it? Like, is it just because it's so servicing to wizards to like have a house elf or like, what is it? Yeah. I want to know. I have questions. Yeah. But yeah, it also kind of reminds me of like the women's suffrage movement in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also what I was going to say is like thinking of Winky, like there are still some women who firmly believe that a woman's place is to be in the kitchen to prepare the home, to prepare cooked meals for like Take when somebody comes home. Like there's actually women like at my work who won't do stuff. There's well, just one that I know of who like won't do certain things because she says, quote unquote, it's not woman's work. Wow. So wow. Like, like I hear that and I'm like, no, like all work is women's work. Like we can do all of this. Like we, yes, like we can go and do that just as well as a man can. But it's like, I wasn't there for her childhood. I don't know how she was raised. Like perhaps this is just something that she's been taught since she was a small child. And she just now inherently believes, which reminds me a lot of the house elves where it's like, this is what we do. This is our purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah. it's, it's a very hard mentality to change. And yeah. I think that's why all of these, movements especially you know the the women's suffrage movement took such a long time even Mm -hmm. though there's been like moments in history of women constantly trying to get equal rights but it took all the way up until the 1960s for anything 1920s 19 1920s with voting yeah but like really but other than to, that, yeah. to like get out of the home which i housewife mentality I, I believe that i have it somewhere else in here but it actually began in 1840 with like the first official um 
like mark of the movement being in 1848 in Seneca Falls, New York, which is the location for the first women's right convention started by Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Hey, I'm um, Elizabeth. What up? Hey, my middle name. Uh, the Declaration of Sentiments was written then, and uh, it was just kind of creating like the agenda of women's activism for decades to come. And so basically from 1840, they started and their mm-hmm. first thing that they wanted, they realized that they couldn't really do anything until they had the right to vote. So just picture from 1840 to it took, 1920. It took that 80 was like, years. It was like their goal to get that happening in 1920 is when it finally happened. So they had to undo the mentality of women letting them know that this is a right that they could have. Yep. And also, you know, undo the mentality of men. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So um, but I wanted to read a quote from Dobby. It says, "'Tis a mark of the house elves' enslavement, sir. We keeps their secrets and our silence, sir. We upholds the family's honor, and we never speak ill of them." So clearly, it's brought up that it is enslavement in the books. Like that is a quote from mm-hmm. the books written by J.K. Rowling. Yeah. So obviously, like there is a what do you call that? Rest in peace, Dobby. <laughs> <laughs> that really hurt that you brought up that quote because Dobby is my favorite character in the entire series. What? Wow. He is amazing. I hated Aww. him so much until the end. Bye. He was misunderstood. Misunderstood. <laughs> misunderstood. Clearly, I'm so emotional yeah, over this very, loss like, that it's just... You're upset. Yeah. But yeah, Dobby, amazing. Amazing. Now, were House Elves the only ones that you guys feel had these... Um, I guess trials and tribulations. No. So I have a couple of other ones that I brought Ooh. up if you would like me to talk about. Yes. It. Please. So like qu- really quick in general, in regards to like enslavement in the wizarding world, like I don't think there was any like human versus human enslavement. I think Not there was, there was definitely like racial prejudices and we'll get into that later. Yeah. But I think enslavement was more towards magical creatures. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to dive into um, prejudices a little bit now. Um, I think that the first kind of prejudice view that we see are like giants. Um, so even when we find out that Hagrid is like half giant, like we know that Ron makes a lot of remarks about how like horrible that is and how gross it is. But there's also other things going on with them. So they're being forced. We find out in book six, five, we find out in book five, right? Yes. yes. That they're being forced to live together in like a large area rather than being solitary. Like their nature would suggest is better for them as a whole. But they're all kind of like coming together and they're all killing each other off and they're just yeah. kind of like running out of space. So I feel like it's just like this giant prejudice that has led to their land being restricted and now they all have to live together and they're literally dying off. That's that's really sad. And it reminds me of like stuff that's happening with endangered animals now. Thanks. Mm. So I know why the zoologist brought it up. <laughs> uh, but also and then this one like really just gets me. It grinds my gears. Uh, but the centaurs are being discriminated against by ministry officials. Um, and they're even having their land restricted by the ministry, which reminds me a lot of stuff that happened with like Native American issues like here in North America. Um, but I have a couple of quotes from your fave, Umbridge. <laughs> so she says, um, I think this is when she's like being taken into the forest by Harry and Hermione. And she says, that's right. Uh, so be very careful by the laws laid down by the department for the regulation and control of magical creatures, any attack by half breeds such as yourselves on a human. And then she's cut off. And then her quote continues law 15 B states clearly that any attack by a magical creature who is deemed to have near human intelligence and therefore considered responsible for its actions. 
Um, and then she like, obviously they're visibly upset by this and they're going to try and kill her. And she starts screaming, filthy half breeds, beasts, uncontrolled animals. It's so upsetting. Isn't it? It's definitely very reminiscent of a lot of the attitudes here in U.S. history towards the various Native American tribes. A lot of them were considered savages. They were considered animals. And, uh, I mean, the idea of being restricted and land taken away is exactly what happened to a lot of these Native American Mm, tribes. They were told and deceived constantly Mm -hmm. by the U.S. government in an effort to expand our country. And it was to our gain and their expense. Yes. And still to this day, there's a lot of issues. There's still a lot of tensions. Yeah. There's still a lot of sacred land that that they're trying to trying to fight to preserve yes. what little they have. And it's still an issue because there's still this idea of the they're other. They're savages. They're of, not in our, yeah. you know, Eastern culture, exactly. middle culture, whatever. Yeah. I find it so interesting that in basically in the span of a few minutes, Umbridge literally says that these animals have near human intelligence. Yeah, yeah. near and human yet, intelligence. And yet they're beasts, mm-hmm. uncontrolled animals. Yeah. It, she's contradicting herself over and over again. And <laughs> that's all I'm going to say right now. One of the censors was literally a professor. So thank you, next. Thank you, next. A lot of that was just the ignorance of mm-hmm. racism. Yep. Yeah. And just like when the pseudoscience known as phrenology where the people would literally look at your skull, the shape, the contours of your skull, the size of your skull and determine whether you were intelligent, what your characteristics, what your personality was. Oh my gosh. I'm and- so happy that you're bringing this up right now. Oh well. yeah. She knows. She knows where I'm going with this. I think I do, but I think I have another point too. Probably. And it's going to be an amazing point. <laughs> oh my And it's this idea that then using something quote-unquote objective, like science, Science. to prove, look, this is not us being racist. This is nature. It was meant to be this way. Just like it was thought that these other races were less than in this supposed hierarchy with white people on top, this idea that these centaurs, these creatures, that they were animals, they were less than because of them not being human, because of these different characteristics. Okay, ready? So you said something about phrenology and how we're measuring like parts of your skull and stuff like that. So fun fact, when I graduated from university, I graduated with an anthropology degree and I was really interested in biological anthropology. And so I I spent a lot of time studying like hominids and how humans came about and all that sort of stuff. Hominids, hominids, hominids. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so it's funny to me because you so we start studying hominids and you start with like homo habilis, which is like the first kind of like thing that you dive into. Okay, cool. Like he was a small dude, blah, 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 blah. So we started looking at like brain casings and how large their skulls were and how big their brains were. And so you measured that in cubic centimeters. And so you see that homo habilis, you start somewhere, I believe, like at like in the 800s or something like that. It starts low, like we had smaller brains. And then as you keep going, like you get to Homo erectus and Homo ergaster, and now they have bigger brains. And then you keep going and you keep going. And then you get to like mo- like anatomically modern humans, like Homo sapiens. And our brain casings, I believe, are like at somewhere at like 1150 cc's or something like that. I'm trying to find it now. Whoa. Oh, I'm sorry. We're, we're, we're to 1350 right now. So obviously our brains got bigger. But if you actually take a look at our last like 
living relative, which was Homo Neanderthal, Neanderthalensis, which is like, you know, like the caveman or whatever. You would think that they were smaller, but they were actually significantly bigger. And so it, it kind of like disproves this theory, like we're the smartest thing that's ever come around, like our brains are so big. And then it's funny to me that we have like the cavemen who are like so dumb, but their brain casings were like way bigger. Wow. So it just goes to show you that that science, I mean, it really, it, it didn't matter. Fun fact, the thing that actually really mattered wasn't so much the size of the brain, but total surface area. And thanks to our brains having a lot of these different grooves, and it, that's why when you look at a, a pictures of a human brain, it looks all wrinkly. All those grooves add extra surface area to our brains. There's more room for all these neurons, these different connections to be made. And that's why, you know, humans are able to do a bit more than if you look at the brains of other animals, you know, people, uh, things that you would consider l less intelligent, less sophisticated. Their brains are a lot smoother. Ah, I was about to ask that. So the cavemen probably had big, smooth brains. Yeah, well, you know what? We're or on not. top. Actually, aren't. there was actually there is a study that has been coming out where we can actually now trace your mDNA, mm -hmm. and there's been found like two percent of the population that lives within Europe or has like European DNA in them. They're actually like two percent Neanderthal. mDNA, by the so, way, like a mitochondrial big, DNA. A, yes, thank you. That's mDNA. Yay, mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> so, uh, there was actually this really big debate when I was in school, and I haven't really followed it since I kind of like left that little career path of mine. Uh, but there was a lot of, um, like, discussion happening with, like, throughout academia, at least in, like, anthropologist circles, where they were like, did they breed? Like, were Neanderthals and anatomically modern humans, like Homo sapiens, were they breeding? Like, did they make a special subspecies that now, like, lives among us? Because really, like, if you look at them, they have a heavier brow ridge. Like, you can see that in some people. Anatomically, the only difference was they had a larger skull and they had an occipital bun, which is like a little bulb at the back of your head and that's it and then actually the only thing that makes you a homo sapien right now is if you touch your chin and you feel that little bump there you go that is it everything else hominids so had before us is, is my chin not supposed to be hard no it's supposed to be hard but there's like a little ridge there feel it tiny it's very tiny that's it i can't i don't know what i'm feeling you got it okay i'm a homo sapien guys we're fine <laughs> Oh, my goodness. But you might have some Neanderthal in you. You never Maybe. know. Maybe. So, fun fact. Both uh, me and Raul have done um, 23andMe. Oh, the, I want to do it so bad. The, so, the Ancestry DNA where you submit, like, your saliva and they do your Ancestry. So, a part of at least 23andMe, I don't know if any of the other Ancestry sites do it, but 23andMe actually goes and sees the... I have to look more into like the science of theirs, but they actually see like what percentage you could possibly be like of Neanderthal. Neanderthal. Oh, Neanderthal. Sorry. It's a pet peeve of mine. Oh, I have no idea. I know me neither until I went to school. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah, so thanks. Neanderthal. Uh, and I remember I always joke uh, with Raul. Oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> oh, don't do that. That Raul is like a little or a little monkey. He's a little more caveman. And when we got I'm our so 20, <laughs> when we got oh. our 23 and me results back, he is actually more Neanderthal than I am. Ah! Of course. And it's funny that you mentioned the European ancestry because technically Raul is more European than I am. I have a 
greater amount of African ancestry in me and he's a larger your percentage of European is way larger than mine. So I just thought that was really funny that you mentioned that European stuff and it actually like holds true at least with our 23 and me results. That check. I'm literally never happier than when I get to use that knowledge. Because, <laughs> you know, you had a whole four years of degree in it. It. Usually, it usually just sits there and I'm like, do, 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 do. But yeah. Now, you know, there's also a program. Uh, they've been able to find... Um, Actually, they've been able to find where life originated in Africa, like where the first anatomically modern humans brought it out. Uh, but they found this like really, really, really old female skeleton and they named her Eve. And you can actually submit your DNA to a program. I think that's run by National Geographic. And you can see like how closely related you are to Eve. What? Yeah. And again, 23andMe actually follows your maternal haplo groups and it tells you like, where no i highly rec- recommend okay, like i'm definitely doing it now 23 and me it's it's a little expensive but it's so worth it in my opinion yeah because it gives you so much information so it yeah. actually follows your maternal and if you're um, male it also follows your paternal haplogroup so it kind of can tell you where like your original family what area of africa they came from and it can also tell you where they moved so it gives you like arrows and it says like usually this haplogroup moved out of Africa into these areas. That is so cool, man. So cool. Anyways, this, this was a super long tangent, that but it was, was very a super interesting. Long tangent, and I just want to finish it off with like kind of a funny note that has nothing to do with Harry Potter. But a long time ago, there was a group of scientists that were trying to figure out how people got from Africa all the way across the ocean into like America and stuff like that. And for a very long time, there was a group of scientists and it's still around today that thought that these like really early hominids built a raft and literally sailed across the ocean from Africa to America. So and that's it. You're welcome. A little small raft yep. made it across the entire. Like, I don't know, like made out of palms, maybe. I don't know. In the scientific community, it is heavily debated. So they just ride. They just uh, they rode a kelpie all the way to <laughs> America. Kelpie that's fine. America. Who knows? So a raft made it to America, but the Titanic could not. Yeah. 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 Because I'm telling you, it was a Kelpie. Now you know. Because it's my super source show. So uh, before we close out, like, the creatures portion of this, (laughs) um, I want to talk a little bit about, like, the last group of creatures that I had, which was goblins. Uh, So I always think about them because they, like, they weren't able to have wands because wizards won't share the secrets of wand lore with them. Uh, And this was brought up by Griphook in the seventh book where he says, and I quote, Wizards refuse to share the secrets of wand lore with other magical beings. They deny us the possibility of extending our powers. Which I have a question. Yes. Doesn't, didn't we just discuss in the last episode, Flitwick is, has goblin ancestry. Is he yes. only half goblin or something? I think or is it, he full goblin? No, I think he's an even more like an distant relative. I think he has to be like an eighth, like. You kind of like how Raul mentioned how you were considered white if you were at least like seven eighths uh-huh. white. Um, I think it's a s- kind of similar. So I think because okay. uh, it's so interesting, Flitwick right? had to be a very minor amount of goblin to be considered human enough to go Not to necessarily because Hogwarts. I mean Hagrid's mom was a giant and they still let him go to Hogwarts, so he would have been half. Right. It's also very dependent on what they define as being a wizard. That's true. Just like in certain cultures, for example, being Cuban, the the historical context of how Cubans defined race in terms of um, white versus black, it was a lot more fluid. It wasn't black and white, Mm -hmm. you know, just 
skin Ha-ha, color. Pun. But it was the idea <laughs> that the closer you were to what they perceived as the ideal, in this case being white, the better off you were. So it wasn't that just, you know, one little yeah drop of uh, African ancestry currently like just put you into what they perceived as the less than group. If you could work your way up, which is, oh, this is just terrible and just reminds you that, <laughs> yeah, you know, our history can be very sad. But anyways, there was this spectrum. And so there could have been in the wizarding world this spectrum where, you know, the closer you were to whatever, you know, pure blood magic you were, thing. the better off you were perceived by others who, you know, considered that ideal. I also yeah. wonder if it was like on the spectrum of creatures, like how human-like were you? Like, because, okay, Hagrid obviously looks like a human. He's just super big. They were like, yeah, like you're cool to be a wizard or whatever, but maybe a goblin who doesn't look so much human-like or like a centaur who obviously has a part horse body. Like, maybe that had a part to play as well. Yeah, I I think so. I think it's like similar to what uh, Raul was saying is you had to have a certain look that met the criteria. So, yeah. So superficial, but so giants, giants are just giant people, but goblins have more. I I hate saying distinct features, like features, yeah, like like more more animal or other species features, yeah. yeah. But so that obviously this is an alleged comment, (laughs) but would we consider then Flitwick to be you know half goblin ancestry? I don't know, but I have that question just because we know he's some part goblin and he is a whole freaking professor with a wand. I don't know. So I, I just I got also questions. Think, like, because because I was an anthropology major, I also took a lot of like the cultural side of things and I just mm-hmm. feel like there's so many different ways to look at it. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't really, I consider a larger part of myself Hispanic and this is going to sound kind of silly, but that's because it's the culture that I was raised in. Yes. Spanish is technically my first language. It's the first thing I learned to speak. It's the culture mm-hmm. that I rely Same. on more because my dad's parents who were Middle Eastern I never met my grandmother and she wasn't allowed to speak Arabic in the house because she married somebody who wouldn't allow it. And so that part of my ancestry, I don't have a connection to because it it literally just passed on with my grandmother. So I feel like, yes, technically, mathematically, if you break it down, I might be equal parts Hispanic and Middle Eastern, but I am so much more attached to the like the hispanic side of my family and those traditions because i have access mm-hmm. to them that it's almost like i look at myself or i identify more strongly with the hispanic side yeah all complicated issues yeah yeah but that's i mean that's the point i guess right yep. yeah is that they are so complicated to look at and it's within each individual to decide this is how i'm going to identify or this is how i'm going to define myself all right now moving on Raul. i actually have a question yes. for all what? of you. Ooh. Off this context of the purity of blood, we know that one of the big conflicts, uh, perceived conflicts in the Harry Potter world is the idea of pure bloods versus what they call mud bloods. Mm-hmm. So one of the first characters we think of when we hear that term is Hermione Granger. What? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of Hermione. She's no, like pretty big. I have no idea. Are we talking about Harry Potter? Yeah. Whoa. I've never read those. I gotta go. <laughs> and like it's it's it sounds me because you have this person who in this context 
is considered less than, but is painted as being the smartest witch of her age, ends up, according to the cursed child, the minister of magic, or ministress of magic. I don't know. I, don't know. I, I think I, it's I guess minister Who cares? Magic. Minister's fine. Thank you. I just feel like we should have like the one word. <laughs> Correct. Anyways, gets to this, what's perceived as like the authority of the wizarding world there in England. To me, like, would you consider her the bigger threat to these to this movement to Voldemort and those people, the people who thought that it was pure blood or bust? Was she a bigger threat to them than Harry was? Despite you know all yeah. the whole prophecy thing. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of their whole like culture or whatever relies on them having to be better than another group of people. But obviously, like this girl's hella smart and she's doing great things. Yeah. And so it's like there's no way like if she is out and about in the world and doing things and people are aware of it, then there's really no platform for them to have. Yeah, but people are still a little dumb sometimes and they won't acknowledge the thing that's right in front of their noses. Yeah, but I mean, but if we're talking about threats, I would consider her probably bigger than the biggest threat at least. Yeah. Yeah. Good question, though. Even better answer. Wow. (laughs) So that brings up this whole correlate to our history where um, a common idea during that post-Civil War here in the U.S., especially in the Jim Crow era, when we get kind of to the height of just racism here in the U.S., is this idea of a one-drop rule. We're having just one drop of um, African ancestry, just anything non-white, as part of your history, immediately defined you as not white. Whatever then that group you fell into, you were just, that didn't matter. You were not white at that point. So I never officially put the pin in, but I'm taking out that pin that was technically in there without ever being mentioned but i want to go back to Ilvermorny for a second and mention how it literally only exists because of gormlet's uh gormlet gaunt's prejudices with blood purity really yes so i have this quote it says unstable and cruel gormlet was a fanatical pureblood who believed that her sister's helpfulness to her muggle neighbors Remember that we talked about that before yeah. and that's the whole idea of how statute of secrecy ended up becoming, right? Was setting Isolt upon a dangerous path to intermarriage with a non-magical man. Only by stealing the child, Gormleth believed could their daughter be brought back to the quote-unquote right way. Raised in the belief that as a descendant of both Morrigan and Salazar Slytherin, she ought to associate only with purebloods. So because of this like strong ideal with keeping that blood purity is the whole reason why Isolt um, grew up like not going to Hogwarts. She was like 16 homeschooled by her crazy aunt who killed her parents. And then she ended up run, like cutting her hair, stealing South Star Slytherin's wand, <laughs> running away to the Americas. Oh, man. And then eventually, after a few other million crazy things happening to her, she ended up found, finding the Ilver Morning School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. So, yeah. That's wow. That's the tea, sis. That's the tea. That's the witchcraft, sis. <laughs> All right. 
So uh, now moving on to the another prejudice in uh, the Harry Potter world. It's magic versus non-magical people. Yep. So yep. again, all the feelings of wizards versus muggles or no magics. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Keeping them as others. Yeah, so there's there's so much going on from this and there's so much of this that ties more into like the racial aspects. So we do have like the racial aspects of inside magic. So yeah. half-bloods, mud-bloods, pure-bloods. Yeah. That's still the magical line. But still, like if you were to build like a totem pole mm-hmm. of who's superior in the wizarding world, it would be pure-bloods, mm-hmm. half-bloods, mud-bloods, muggles. Yeah. Muggles are dirt poor. And I love the the imagery that they decided to put in the Order of the Phoenix, um, where in the uh, oh, yeah. the Ministry the of fountain. Magic, mm-hmm. the fountain was all the muggles. Magic up, is might. Magic is might. Mm-hmm. All the muggles were basically like being str- strangled, being strangled and struggling under the weight of the witch and wizard above them. Mm-hmm. And that's just like the mentality of the wizarding world which is very very similar to a lot of mentalities and races across like our world Mm -hmm. correct me if i'm wrong but i believe that the fountain before this one where it was like the normal ministry of magic like didn't it have like a wizard and like two other like wasn't there like an elf and then something else yeah yeah Yeah. and it was just like all like we're all together we're all equal whatever and and multiple races yes okay cool yeah. Yeah. So um, something that comes to my mind when we talk about magic versus non-magic is that sentence, but like even within wizards and stuff. So you have like muggles and witches and wizards, but then we also have squibs. Poor squibs. Which is um, obviously like a squib is somebody who is born into a magical family without magic. Um, but it just kind of almost reminds me of like it's being synonymous with like the other. Right. And it can kind of take on all kinds of shapes. But at the end of the day, um, we have like they're different from their family. They're definitely shunned. Like it's a negative thing in society. And it's also used as a slur, which I never knew before. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think I knew it until I read it. I think on Pottermore somewhere, but it's like a slur. Um, and so I think that's also really important to note that even within the magical community, like if you're born without it, then you're kind of less Frowned than. Upon, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. even though your family has it or whatever. And then I think also on part of where I read that sometimes squibs will like leave their families and they'll go and like live in the muggle world and yeah. like outside of the magical community. That's just like really sad. Like, yeah. I know in general, we as muggles, no magics are sad because we never got to experience magic. But yeah. imagine everyone around you. Dude. Has it. I'd be so mad. Like it's it's like Petunia's pain times like a thousand. Times like a thousand. Yo. Oh, and then That'd I be the worst. The only two squibs, which, by the way, if you were going to make it a slur, like, I don't want to keep using it, but we have, like, no other word for it. Yeah, so. there's no other way, really, to describe yeah. it without so, I mean, using a sentence. Exactly. Non-magical, magical folk. So, exactly. So, I guess the only two uh, people that are born into magical families that do not have magic in the series are Argus Filch and Arabella Fig. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I kind of, let me tell you, it must be so hard to be Filch. And I kind of understand why he's usually so grumpy, grumpy, because he's surrounded nonstop 
by people who can do magic and who can literally pick up these spills and pick up these messes with like a wave of their wand. And yet he has to come in and do all this hard labor. I know. I would be mad too. I would. And I would be grumpy. But like I wouldn't be trying to hang people in the dungeons. You know? Yeah. It's like he took it to a whole other level. Yeah. So I mean like maybe if Filch was in a house... He would maybe be a Slytherin because he likes the torturing aspect of things. I don't think that Slytherins just inherently like to torture. No, no. But I'm just saying like of the Slytherins we know, there is like, (laughs) there's like a good third of them that enjoy that that don't mind torturing people. I guess. And there is a smaller percentage of the other houses. I think. And I, I honestly truly believe that that's because JK Rowling created this bias. It's definitely that. It's all bad. And she just like hid all like the bad Ravenclaws and Hufflepuffs and Gryffindors (laughs) from us. I truly, I mean like she, she snuck them in there with like one, one off characters. Yeah. Like, uh, Coral. Yes. Uh, Peter Pettigrew. Lockhart. Lockhart. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> hey, I snuck in Peter Pryor to grow. I know. I know. Thank you for the that. The blight of Gryffindor House. I'm like literally sitting here like there has to be a bad Hufflepuff. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm trying to think Where? of one too and I'm like, uh. There has probably to be a bad isn't. <laughs> I think like. There's like snotty Hufflepuffs. Like annoying Hufflepuffs. Yeah. I really never liked Hannah. Hannah Abbott? Yeah. Why? I don't know. She was just annoying to me. What did she do? She did not like Harry in the fourth book. Goblet of Fire. Harry Neither did stinks. the rest of the school. Exactly. I was upset. <laughs> I was upset. I don't like him. Who, who's the really annoying Hufflepuff? Zachariah uh, Smith. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Definitely not a fan. Could not remember the name, but as soon as you said that name, all I could think of was ugh. ugh. <laughs> or uh, uh, I don't know if he's. Hufflepuff or Gryffindor, Ernie McMillan. I think he's Hufflepuff. Yes, yeah. he is. He's definitely. Is it, isn't Hufflepuff. he also an annoying one? Yes. Yeah. Mm, is he? Is he, or is he just like the? No, the, isn't he like the Hermione of the Hufflepuff house? Isn't he like he's like super smart? And he allegedly, like <laughs> I have no idea. I can't remember. Yeah, but uh, I have. I was distinct feeling. I bet money that he's on the annoying side. This the annoying spectrum. I mean, technically, you could say that Hermione was annoying. Yeah. I guess. Okay, but... so uh, one of the... <laughs> I just Googled him to see if we were right. Yeah. And his description is a stout boy with pudgy hands. <laughs> pudgy hands? Yeah. Why like, is that? I don't know. It's just funny to me. And I was like, this definitely did not give me, like... Any, any information. Any, like, info that I needed at all. If you're interested, his bogart is Lord Voldemort. Wow. Oh. What? <laughs> Who is that? He's Is he scary? What did he do? Snakes and stuff. Oh, Snakes man. and stuff? Oh, my God. Yeah. So, okay. there you go. So, moving into the parallels of the discrimination between magic versus non-magic and magical pe- people being better or superior... Um, and this ties in greatly with this new movie series that we're in. So, uh, we're throwing it to Raul to talk about Hitler and World War II. It's getting like really serious tonight. What a transition. Whoa. (laughs) Definitely getting into the hard hitting stuff right here. Darker ages. So, uh, obviously one of the things that we associate with Hitler and the Nazi party is anti-Semitism, this like extreme prejudice towards 
uh, people who were Jewish. Now, what a lot of people don't know is that there's certain figures that inspired Hitler and, and the Nazi party in terms of using this anti-Semitism as a way to drum up support and to get people uh, almost as if it was like a rallying call. And uh, one example is that there was this man who was the mayor of Vienna, sitting in Austria. His name is Karl Lueger. And this was back in like the early 1900s. This is um, kind of like before World War One, and around that time, he was, and he was very successful in using anti-Semitism as part of his platform to get himself reelected consistently Boo. as mayor of Vienna. But there's actually uh, accounts written by uh, different people at the time and then supported by uh, uh, different historians that this was all just a ruse. So this one historian by the name of Leon um, Polyakov wrote that it soon became apparent that especially in Vienna, any political group that wanted to appeal to the artisans had no chance of success without an anti-Semitic platform. It was at that time that a well-known phrase was coined in Vienna. Anti-Semitism is the socialism of fools. And it just would get me thinking of this idea of Voldemort and his movement of uh, rallying these people against muggles, against people who are less than, like, unifying pure-blooded wizards for the sake of wizards, for the sake of, you know, the magic folk against those others. And this idea that's very convenient narrative for him to use to drum up support, to get that following. And begs the question, did he even actually believe that? Did he actually care about that? Or was his sole purpose just using that conveniently as a tool to carry out other purposes, other things that he wanted to do? So um, I know we previously mentioned uh, Grindelwald, and I think... Grindelwald might not have totally believed that uh, wizards were 100% superior to muggles. It might have just been a convenient narrative for him. However, I don't think that's 100% the case for Voldemort. Hmm. I, uh, I think Voldemort grew up with the hatred of muggles, of people less than, and that's why he hated himself so much. Because he was half-blood, that's why he murdered his father, murdered his father's family, why he constantly tried to make himself better and superior to kind of like... Changing his name. Changing his name so that way like no one could ever associate him with that lesser race, if we're going so far as to say that. Um, so I think it's not that case for Voldemort. I think with Voldemort, it was very much a personal uh, narrative. And I think he also exacerbated it and like let the hysteria run wild, especially with his death eaters and his followers um, for his own convenience. So in a way he did, but I think the uh, like personal, uh, I guess like bias. personal bias was a driving force was there with him from the beginning you're making a face jenny i because i just don't i apologize if you guys hear this weird sound in the background 
my and he's in the room now he just meowed <laughs> i have a, a black cat his name is guinness because guinness is my favorite beer <laughs> and he is an insane cat and he knows how to open locked doors so he opened our locked door in here because he's sad because mom and dad are in the room without him anyways jenny um i don't i think that he hated his dad and what happened. But I don't think that he truly believes that pure bloods are any better than Muggleborns because he's I mean, he's half blood. So and he's so powerful and he believes in himself. So I can't like on a really deep instinctual level, like he has to know that that's poop. I think I think that might be just. I think the way he justifies it in his mind is that the only reason why he's so great is because he has wizard blood that he has some type of pure blood in him and all the faults in him that he hates are all associated with that other half of him. I just don't. I think that he spreads it because it's a convenient narrative. It serves the propaganda, but I really think that he is smart enough to know I'm half blood. There is muggle blood in me and I'm great at what I do, I guess. No? You're also talking about a man who didn't realize to kill a baby. (laughs) He could have probably just, like, dropped him from the second story window instead Um, of... (laughs) Neville bounced. (laughs) Try again. What if he did try? Like, what if he spent, like, the whole rest of the night, like, trying to, like, throw Harry out the window (laughs) and he just kept bouncing? (laughs) That's a nice image. I'd like to see that. You're welcome. For me, a lot of it's like to to think of Voldemort, who is portrayed as so narcissistic, like like his worldview stops at himself, mm-hmm. especially as he like just strives to become more powerful. This idea of him caring about others, yeah, even if it's about like the idea of like pure, like yeah, you could believe that pure blood is better than um, less than pure or mud bloods or what have you. The idea that he would even like really care about other people about this movement because it would mean thinking about people other than himself, yeah, as opposed to just thinking about what matters to him and yeah, and it's not like he only used pure bloods either. I mean, he used giants to achieve you know his ends or whatever. At the Battle of Hogwarts, when he thought he had it in the bag, he was ready to take on people that weren't pure blood. So I don't know. Yeah, I would. I would say I in a way I agree with Elizabeth. She um, he. Definitely had a personal bias, and I think that really drove everything he did. But I do want to mention that if we remember in Chamber of Secrets, um, he does mention his Horcrux younger version. Um, mm. If you remember the movie, the like hot, hot version, version of Voldemort. Oh my God! Wait, I meant to send you guys a picture. There's like a he's in a new show on like Netflix or something. Oh my God! No oh way. really? Dude, now I have to watch it. So now I have to watch it. He's still but hot. anyways, so if my we were- husband is in the room, y'all shaking his head. And you know what? He's hot. Yeah. <laughs> now your husband. Hashtag facts. Anyways, so if we remember in Chamber of Secrets. Uh, we do keep in mind that he says, he mentions, he doesn't care anymore about muggle-borns and um, blood purity and everything like that. I think at first it really was important to him when that first Wizarding War was going on uh, back in the, in the 70s, right, when um, or 80s, whenever um, James uh, Potter, James Potter and 
uh, Lily Potter, you know, were obviously killed and the whole thing with Harry happened. I think that first war, it was really important to him. But by the, I think by the time the second second Wizarding War came around, he really just wanted power. Like, I yeah. think that was just really his end goal. And he didn't care who he worked with at the end of the day. But if he had control over the ministry and Hogwarts and everything like that, he didn't care what he believed in. Yeah, I think that at that point, uh, yeah. I guess like his second life, yeah, uh, it was more so like, oh, whatever, my followers believe this, all right, let's just do it. Yeah. I need them to Ex- follow me, so. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to bring up some stuff that I found on the Pottermore. And it's basically talking about uh, when Slytherin was saying that he didn't want to teach kids that were of muggle-born, um, like, parentage. So it says, Slytherin's discrimination on the basis of parentage was considered an unusual and misguided view by the majority of wizards at the time. Contemporary literature suggests that Muggleborns were not only accepted, but often considered to be particularly gifted. And then there's another quote that says, Magical opinion underwent something of a shift after the International Statute of Secrecy became effective in 1692, when the magical community went into voluntary hiding following persecution by Muggles. This was a traumatic time for witches and wizards, and marriages with muggles dropped to their lowest level ever known, mainly because of fears that intermarriage would lead inevitably to discovery and consequently to a serious infraction of wizarding law. Under such conditions of uncertainty, fear, and resentment, the pure blood doctrine began to gain followers. So to call oneself a pure blood was more accurately a declaration of political or social intent I will not marry a muggle and I consider muggle slash wizard marriages reprehensible than a statement of biological fact. Hmm. So I found that interesting because I thought that it would have started like that pure blood mania kind of would have come from Slytherin's age. Yeah. And it really didn't happen until way more recently in like wizard history. So this actually really reminds me of current day uh mentality and yes i'm gonna go there oh i know i'm so excited we're gonna get spicy so i i i'm sure the all of our listeners since most of you are from america and i guess the rest of the world is very aware of this um but we are currently in a situation here in the states where it seems like we're using politics to kind of like for the same issue where like we're declaring like uh like political sides um to make ourselves seem superior and um we're using like all of these old mentalities of uh immigrants are less than immigrants are coming to steal our jobs we need to keep them out of our country um middle dangerous middle easterners are dangerous they're all terrorists and this is all just being used as a way to a political end Mm -hmm. or and using it as a political means and it's like people are forgetting that there are actual people behind these labels that are being um that are suffering Mm -hmm. and it's just um it's really sad that it's almost like a joe foreshadowed i guess not foreshadowed this is kind of like a mentality and a way that people have always used um race and people that are different or less than they've they've always existed in life yeah yeah people have always used a way 
to use that situation and how people just naturally feel uncomfortable around people who are different than them mm-hmm. to gain power. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really sad that it's become very prominent in at least like the U.S. right now. And I know in a, a lot of other parts of the world as well. Yeah. yeah. Hate hate is really bred from ignorance. So if you don't understand or try to understand the people that are different from you because you can't relate to them, you're going to create these, you know, uneducated biases against these people. And that drives people in order to start hating and having these feelings against them. And in the end, it it literally all starts with just someone not knowing and trying to put their own like feelings and mind in the shoes of somebody else. Yeah. For a really long time, no one knew that I was Middle Eastern because I wouldn't say anything. I actually didn't know until today. I was deathly afraid to say anything mm-hmm. for a really long time and that's really sad yeah and it, i mean i've even encountered it at work like even like being hispanic like somebody told me i hate those hispanics they're so lazy they're so this or so that my last name is not hispanic so they had no idea wow and i was just like check yourself <laughs> i so I, I actually want to say that um, me and my mom had a, like a really weird, shocking encounter and we kind of triggered a conversation with us where uh, we were taking off on our flight to Budapest and uh, we were taking off from an airport that wasn't obviously our hometown, uh, but we were speaking Spanish on the plane. I think a flight attendant had overheard or whatnot and my mom ended up it was like a very vacant flight. There were a lot of seats open. And because it was an older air flight, there weren't as many like accommodations. Like there wasn't airplane, air, airplane (laughs) flight. Um, on the flight, there wasn't many, like there wasn't TVs, like personal TVs, the videos, stuff like that. There was only one TV that was playing the same movie for like the last three hours. If you knew it, then you were pretty much bored for a while unless you brought a book or whatever. So, my mom just wanted to, you know, move to a nice vacant seat, kind of sit down, relax. And a flight attendant comes up to her, remembering that, you know, we had spoken Spanish and she has a slight accent and um, accused her. She's like, you're, this isn't your seat. You have to go back to your seat. My mom doesn't understand why, because obviously no one was sitting there when they took off. This is already like 30 minutes, 40 minutes into the flight. And she's like... <laughs> The flight attendant goes to her and she's like, do you even speak English? (gasps) Yes. And I was just, and mind you, again, I've already mentioned this before. We are white Hispanic. So if you wouldn't be able to, unless you looked at us and heard, unless you heard us, sorry, speak Spanish, you wouldn't be able to tell if we were Hispanic. I look white. I look European. So the fact that she said that we were, it, it was a shock to my mom for sure. Like she had no idea, like, that kind of attitude yeah. would exist. Yeah. And by far, like she would encounter that. It um, happens to me all yeah. the time at work. No one thinks that I speak Spanish. And a <laughs> lot of like the crews that come in of like maintenance workers or like even people like on grounds that are in our maintenance department, like they'll be talking mad stuff in Spanish and I'll be in the area and I'll just come out and be like, I can understand you. <laughs> like, please stop. This is gross. Yeah. And all of their faces are like, oh, no. Uh, like, 
like, I'm in so much trouble if this girl <laughs> says anything. And yeah. I'm just like, zip it. But it's it's it sucks and it's upsetting and it's not really okay. And yeah, you, you never you think it wouldn't happen, especially in like certain areas. Um, but it's still it's a real thing. And yeah, and, it's a real problem. And, and it's, it exists everywhere. And it's kind of um it's kind of surreal that we're recording today on the 18th anniversary of 911. Oh my god, that's true. Um, yep. which is when a lot of these mentalities um sprouted kind of i don't think it sprouted it just gave them a narrative to finally like be out in the open yeah Yeah. it it gave them a stronger narrative the Um, word terrorism pretty much like became a thing because of this whole act yeah so um i just i I know this is like super random but you know since it is 9-11 i do want to take like a moment again to recognize all the all of our fallen heroes and all the people who died on 9-11 here in the states over 3,000 lives were lost Mm -hmm. we think about them every day we think about the first responders who are still to this day um passing away from complications from being in and by the the twin towers Mm -hmm. um so again if you are a first responder in new york in the pentagon if you had family members who died during 9-11 we are thinking about you we always think about you and you know you you will always be in our hearts mm-hmm. nice little moment all right moving on yes let's let's get into a, a more let's get into some weird stuff some yeah. happier things <laughs> uh, this so... is a smooth transition <laughs> <laughs> so uh we talked a lot about stuff that happened way back when but I thought it would be really fun to talk about witchcraft today. Whoa. Yeah? Where's witchcraft nowadays? Uh, I'm sorry. This is uh, Hogwarts a history, not <laughs> Hogwarts a present. A present. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. That makes history. it sound like Hogwarts is a gift, which is a gift that keeps on giving. History is being written right now. Yeah, man. Wow. Boom. Just, I just need to get that engraved. Three broom chicks quote. I need to get, start a quote book. You know, I am the president of the fan club. The Ravenclaw has outwitted your son. I do yes. need to start the fan club, though. You I do. Get on that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We need a name for the stands. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm you're not in charge cr- of that. I could work on it. I'm not as creative as I would like to think. I would like to think. But I think definitely getting a lot of contribution from all the other fans out there. So they could do the hard work for me. Oh, my God. And I could take credit as president of the fan club. Okay. So, witchcraft today. Ooh, go. Um, so, I follow lots of witch stuff on Instagram. Because <laughs> we're witches. <laughs> yes. There's, like, a really great meme that, like, floats around on one of the accounts that I follow every now and then that says, we are the granddaughters of the witches you couldn't burn. Oh. And I'm like, hey. Oh, snap. <laughs> So I think today we have a couple of different um, ways to view witches, I guess. So um, we can say that kind of like they're a gimmick almost in like some arenas of society. So you have like tarot card readers, palm readers, crystal healers, psychics, horoscopes, tea leaves, etc. All lots of things that I've done. Um, (laughs) I remember like after watching like Trelawney and the cups and stuff, I made people come to my house and we had tea. It was my first time ever drinking tea. Wow. And then I tried to read tea leaves. (laughs) How'd that go? It actually went pretty cool. I saw a duck in one of the girl's cups. Alexis. She was on Potter for dummies. Okay. Okay. Oh, really? I saw a duck. I was like, this is definitely a duck. 
So we looked up what a duck meant and it was like something about like financial stuff is going to be happening. And then somebody like her credit card got lost like the next day or something happened with her mm. credit card. And I was like, I saw that duck in your cup, girl. I know what happened to you. <laughs> My third eye was strong. Are you a seer or is it all coincidence? Bum, bum, bum. She wouldn't know. <laughs> she can't remember. Her I can't remember. Prophecies. I can't remember my prophecies. Um, so in other arenas, I think that we can term them as like bohemian in a way. So like you follow the moon cycles and you cleanse with sage or palo santo. You have an evil eye and other herbs that you use. I don't know. Essential oils too. Yeah. yeah. F it. But these are all things you do, Jenny. Literally, literally. I was just like typing this up like, and I have this and this and this. <laughs> I just bought my incense today. So, yeah. Uh, but either way, like, I think that they're still like shunned to a certain extent. Like sometimes if I tell people that I like cleanse with sage or like I have crystals or whatever, they're like, this chick is crazy. No. And, and I, I was one of those. You are one of those. And I'm just like, OK, girl, but like I'm a cleanse you anyway. But it's true. Some of that stuff yeah. works and is amazing. And you know even what? if yeah. not, it's just like nice you know to what? have. It's just nice. To, you know what? Essential oils are they smell so nice. <laughs> they wake me up if I need to wait, be waking up. Somebody Words. told me they like had a headache at work and I was like, bro, you want some peppermint oil? Like it's going to help you out for real. And they were like, uh, no, like I don't believe in it. So it's not going to help me. And I was like, you know what? Even if it's psychosomatic and it helps me out. Whatever. Then I'm okay with that. But Placebo. there was a peer reviewed article published in 1991 Ooh. that says that peppermint actually relieves the tension in your muscles mm. and can help with tension headaches. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Herbs. Science. Herbalism. <laughs> Herbalism. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so anyways, moving on. Uh, so either way, like, I still think that, you know, like you're shunned if you're like identifying as a witch Yeah. and all there's like no like crazy, like witch trials or like murdering sprees that's going on. Like there's still social rejection, mm-hmm. uh, like being called weird. Like you get bullied, you're rejected by other belief systems. You're like made that. fun of in pop culture. Yes, you are. Yeah. Like, oh, um, I'm a Gemini with a Pisces raising. Okay. But like still, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, and then there's also a lot of people that subscribe to like pagan religions or stuff called like Druidism. Um, so Ooh. I looked at paganism just to get like a good definition and it says Whoa. it's like a modern religious movement that's incorporating beliefs or practices from outside the main world religions, especially nature worship and paganism. I had heard of like recently, you know, like in the last like 10 or so years, but it's actually been around for a super long time. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. And then I pulled like some stats for y'all. Um, There are enough pagans in the UK to form a small army, one that is 56,620 people strong. And according to the 2011 population census, while across the pond, um, a Pew Research Center survey in 2015 found that 0.3% of Americans identify as pagan or Wiccan. So all the witches and wizards are in the UK. Yo. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. What's 0.3 of the American population? It's probably more than 56,000, right? I think, pro, pro, yes. Yeah, like, uh, Raul, you're better at math than I think. Okay, let's all just of us. do it, guys. Let's just. Google we just it. assume we're live googling on this podcast. Ooh. Live googles. So to kind of help fill up that time, I actually have a question for each of the broom chicks. Whoa. Now think about in terms of pop culture figures or just characters, whether they're in movies or books. Not including Harry Potter. Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Good answer. I just had to take it before anyone else did. You didn't even. Who would be your favorite witch? Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yes, but the chill. I 
okay, so I grew up with like the regular Sabrina and the Teenage Witch, but I really, really love Kiernan Shipka's version of Sabrina, the new one, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. I've never seen it. I haven't seen it. It's so cool. It's like the, the, (laughs) God, I can't even remember, Church of the Night. It's just so dark. Okay, so I have the numbers. Yes. Okay. way more than in the UK. Oh, really? So 0.3% of the American population that identify as pagan or Wiccan is actually 981,600. Wow, that's a lot of people. There's witches everywhere. I think they're all like in the Midwest. Fact. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so uh, we are going to end on a random fun fact. No. No, I haven't heard all the, your favorite witches. And I have uh, an honorable Elizabeth. mention ready to go to. Oh, an honorable mention for your favorite witches? Yeah, because I already said Sabrina the Teenage Witch. That's the only one that can come to my mind right now. Pocus, so. Pocus, bro. <gasps> Hello. Oh, my God. You're Those welcome. are my favorite. Okay, it's like you don't even know which culture. Mine's a very strange tie. One is the grandma from Halloween Town. <gasps> oh, yeah, yes! Debbie Reynolds. R.A.P. Also... One of the best shows ever, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. Oh, yeah. Willow. I've never seen it. Willow. Get on it, girl. Okay. Amazing. The Vampire Diaries, Bonnie and her grandma. Uh, Guys, Witches of Waverly, please. <laughs> <Yes>! <laughs> Selena Gomez is like best role ever. Bewitched? It will never. Oh, yes. yes. Also, Sabrina was cool, but like her aunts, Zelda and. Ooh, damn. <laughs> Zelda and the other one? Elena? No. 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 We're not going to remember. All right. Either way. Twitches. 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 Oh, my God. More Disney witches. Okay. (laughs) That was a fun tangent. Um, Okay. So now to actually end on this random fun fact. So according to Joe, in the Wizarding Universe... The way um, witches and wizards identified themselves when they were out in the muggle world was actually by wearing purple or green. Most of the time it was in combination. Um, So I thought that was just really cool that there was like a way to be like, yo, you're a witch. Yo, you're a witch. You're my people without saying anything. Though, how confusing would it be if you, your favorite color is just purple and oh, you wear it all the time? You took away one of my two things. Oh, really? I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was going to be like, what if you're just a person like wearing purple? And they're, yeah. like, they're like, yo, what's up? Like, did you go to Hogwarts? And you're like, a what? A what? And they just <laughs> like breach the statute of secrecy? <laughs> well, <laughs> obliviate. Obliviate. Uh, my other thing was, can you think of a period in time where we see this? In what? Middle Ages? Renaissance? Like in the book. Oh, in the books? Yeah. Isn't it in like the in the beginning? Yeah. Where Vernon's like describing chapter. the cloaks? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. You're welcome. All right. <laughs> All right. So that's it for today's episode. Woo! Thanks, Raul, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. Yay. You guys are the best. I'm your number one fan. I oh, love when you can, girl. So remember to follow us on social media. You can follow us on Instagram at the three broom chicks. You can also follow us on Twitter at the number three broom chicks. And go like our Facebook page, the three broom chicks. And catch us next time because what? Coming October is our villain series. (laughs) And we are starting with some of our favorites. 
the Malfoys yeah. and their fellow Death Eaters. Hey. I'm so excited. I'm what very up? excited. What up? I'm just going to be like, at Tom Felton the whole time. time. At Tom Felton. <laughs> it's going to be hard to fr- try to incorporate Sirius Black into that episode. No, it's not. We'll find Bro, a way. Sirius Black, Bellatrix, boom. <laughs> yeah, pretty easy. You're welcome. There's true. literally a reference for Sirius Black everywhere. Anyways, that's it for today. We are the Three, three Broom, Broom Chicks. Chicks. And those are your hashtag political themes. What up?